Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on the 24th of November, 2021. It's me, Chris. It's the Chris. I don't know. What you're not. Is. You're not helping with the uh, show to jump. Not recognizing we're two different people. Yeah, it's us, Chris and Chris. <laughs> Chris and yeah. Chris and Rollo T. Rollo right. T. That was it. That was it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it is just to to get this, I guess, kind of out of the way. Uh, it is the uh, fourth Wednesday of November, which means tomorrow is the fourth Thursday of November, which in the United States means that tomorrow is Thanksgiving, which is a time in which we like to, you know, be express thanks for our loved ones and everything. I am, of course, thankful to many things in my life, including my buddy right here. Oh. And uh, you guys are audience. I just want to say that even if you do not observe Thanksgiving, I hope that you have a wonderful day tomorrow. You're able to, in some way, enjoy being in the company of someone or some ones that you care about. Yes. So uh, we got all the sincere, sincere, mushy stuff mm-hmm. out of the way. We can get back to wrestling tangents and fart jokes now. Well, I, I have to start. Uh, it feels bad because you gave me a nice compliment. I have to admit something that I'm a bad friend, Nick. Oh, what's that? Uh, I just got your name. Your your new online handle. Oh, because okay. <laughs> I was like in my mind, I was like, yeah, Nick F time because Nick of time was obviously taken at some point. Oh, like it was. But like then I was like, wait, Nick Freeman. So Nick F. Oh, it all comes together. I was OK. That makes more sense. I was I was going to be worried if you had just never heard the expression. Oh. Nick of time before. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never heard old. Uh, I don't even know what you'd call that. Euphemism, I guess. Turns Turn, a turns a phrase. Yeah, I've never I, I've never heard turns of phrases before. And I was like, <laughs> I thought Nick just combined random words together. <laughs> You're just like it's it's cuts to your view of things and there's like random emojis and numbers that are part of it. And you're like, I can't make heads or tails of this. It's, it's got that music from Fe- the later Phoenix Wright games where like you're finally putting everything together in your head and it's got that intense music right. That's great. That's that's what's going on as I finally made the connection of like it's his initial. I get it. That's okay. Don't feel bad about that. No one gets that. So, <laughs> well, I just did, and I want the world to recognize how how brilliant it is. It should be appreciated. Nice. So, we do have several manga to talk about with you guys today. We do. Uh, which uh, includes um, a new series mm-hmm. and a series that Nick hasn't read for this week just yet. <laughs> I, I, I want to just explain something without getting into too much detail. Um, Chris already knows about this, but I got a new job recently. Mm-hmm. And since that happened, I have had it's kind of just like disrupted the way that I would regularly imbibe manga during the course of the week. So like when the chapters drop on Sunday, that doesn't change how it because you know it's like it's my weekend and so I'm still you know waking up and you know like okay a couple hours later manga comes out or I wake up and manga's already come out depending on how late I've slept. Uh, but whenever stuff comes out during the week, um, it drops when I'm at work, and so I don't pay any attention to um. that, and sometimes I forget to check if something has come out. 
such as has happened this week. So we're going to have um, another blind Boruto read through on my end, and uh, we'll see how that goes a little it's, bit later. It's a fun one. As all Boruto, oh, look, and I, I will say the Sensor Ninja shows up. We might just go on a 20 minute tangent about the Sensor Ninja again. Who knows, Nick? <laughs> the world is our oyster. Yeah. So uh, just so you guys know, that's what you're in for. But before we get to that, we've got a couple other series to read, including, of course, My Hero Academia, chapter number 334, Parting Gift, which features a little bit of uh, Star and Stripe looking all, uh, I'm not sure exactly, coquettish? Is that is that the adjective? I She's. I don't know if I've heard the term coquettish before. Playful? Coquette, you know? a woman who flirts. Okay. Uh, yeah, I could see you reading it as a little flirtation. I, in my mind, I read it as like elegant, but in an expression no one has. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't think I've ever sat there and be like, one eye closed, one eye off to the distance. Elegant. Look up. Serenity. Like, I just. It's a lot <laughs> going on. I don't. I don't feel it. Uh, it is definitely one that just kind of makes you stop and go, what, what is she doing? All right. Last time, not Shigaraki, not all for one, uh, killed Star and Stripe. I mean, she's dead. She dies in this chapter. Oh, no. But before that happened, he stole her quirk, new, new order, which, uh, she had basically, um, planted a time bomb in, not a time bomb. Horrible poisonous lava, uh, which destroy, which revolts against other quirks, and hence it start. She started basically destroying him from within, taking out his quirks and uh -huh. stuff. And uh, her bros are trying to shoot him while he flies away. And of course, Shigaraki all for one just kind of narrates to himself, like, "Oh yeah, yeah, just before I made that Nomu burst, I took its wing quirk." You didn't need to tell me that. I could have believed you had any number of other ways of flying that you didn't explain <laughs> where you got the wings from. But uh, unfortunately, he can't, um, you know, get rid of New Order. He's got to give it to someone else before all of his quirks are destroyed by uh, New Order's revolt revolution inside of him. And uh, in this moment, of course... He doesn't just uh, curse out Colleen, or I think that's her name, Colleen. I forget. Uh, Star Stripe. Like, yeah, I feel like it, they say it later on in this chapter somewhere. Yeah. But uh, he curses All Might because um, he's like that. He just hates All Might, and he's thinking, "Oh, this is all All Might's fault indirectly." So fuck him. Um, that is what he's thinking about. Kathleen. Uh, no matter. Kathleen. I was okay. Not. You're close. Uh, he races off into the distance really, really fast, faster than the pilots can pursue him. Uh, and uh, while after he leaves, uh, the guy that uh, Star refused to kill in order to destroy Shigaraki, all for one, uh, is just thinking about how, you know, she made that promise that she would get their remains back to their loved ones if they died. And he just thinks to himself, You've always been the greatest hero, Star and Stripe. You've surpassed All Might. All right. I mean, I don't know 100% how the two thoughts are connected, but hey, she was your friend, and I understand that. So, uh, We then cut to a cameo 
Uh, I believe this is actually a cameo uh, for the girl with the uh, pigtails. I haven't read enough of uh, uh, Galantis. It's not that pop girl, if that's what you're thinking. It looks kind of like her. I think it's just a similar aesthetic, but it's not whatever the girl is from Vigilantes. At least I don't believe yeah. so. Cause I haven't read enough of Vigilantes. The implication so. is definitely that she, if not as injured here, she probably dies because it's Shigaraki and I, he's just probably going to murder everybody. Right. He definitely murders the, du- the dude that he touches. So, uh, Yeah. A guy named Kashiko Kashi, who was among the big jailbreak that all for one staged uh, a little ways back is just hanging out in this empty place. And uh, there there's a girl with them and they're just kind of hanging out. They're complaining about how there's no TV. And uh, they're like, yeah, why would we go back to committing crimes after we just got out of jail? I'm going to escape <laughs> and live free forever. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's a better attitude. Like, you know what? Instead of going about punching the city, like a fucking monster from rampage, uh, I guess I'll just, live the rest of my life hopefully not being killed or arrested again now granted he was pretty safe on the second one the first part of that he couldn't have been too certain on he certainly didn't expect this be what happened honestly if i were going to hide out somewhere i wouldn't go i mean there's a reason why this place is banned it's because people are in the shelters because that's where it's safe yeah yeah shigaraki offer one bursts through the wall sends all the furniture flying uh and it's just like, yes, I got to I got to get rid of her quirk. She probably assigned a rule to her quirk that prevents it from residing among other quirks. So I'll steal the bystanders quirk. And when he's quirkless, then I'll impart him with new order and preserve it. And it took me a couple of reads of this to actually understand why what happens next is phrased the way that it is. Because the image of Star and Stripe in his head goes, nice try, idiot. And so I was thinking, uh, was this like she's going to block him from giving it to someone else or something? But in particular, it is the fact that he's not going to get new order after this. He's not going to have some other person who's got new order that's under his control. He's not going to find a way to neutralize the rule that she put on it and then get it back. He's just trying to kind of like put the very volatile quirk in a in a pickle jar. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not going to work because he tries to put it in the pickle jar. But no, no, it lost. It lost all of its, you know, its freshness before he could re, re uh, relit it. So um, and the reason for this is that uh, the quirk has been fighting against the other quirks and uh, the quirks fought back, essentially. And eventually they were the new rule quirk was overwhelmed and is destroyed but not before it gets to flip Shigaraki off for one, the double bird and disintegrate to a skeleton. Yeah. Well, it's taken out some of his really good quirks, his reflect quirk, apparently whatever he's using to fly, that's gone. Uh, the quirk that kept his hair looking manageable, that one's gone. Cause it's, it's a main right now. Um, mm-hmm. those are all gone, you know? And, uh, of course, uh, the image of star and strike is deliver a big heroic speech, even as she's descending, disintegrating away. As long as people stand up to save each other, someone will inherit that will of heroism, and make no mistake, they will strike you down. And Alfred One's like, fuck you! Fuck you and your stupid hair! Shut up! Go! You're dead now! Go away! Grr! Crunch. And then he breaks her face apart. But in that moment, 
someone else got to hear that speech. Because Shigaraki is there, buried underneath hands, as he always is. Yeah. Hero to you, da 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 True hero, wherever the song goes, right? <laughs> You're closer than you might think. <laughs> um. So, yeah. Hey, Shigaraki is still under there. Here's a reminder. So, uh, we get a quick kind of just like recap of like, hey, here are the consequences of this. Um, people kept on hunting for Shigaraki. Uh, the villain had vanished, however, and everyone's sad that Star and Stripe is dead. Uh, and as a result of her being dead, the entire world goes, yeah, we're not going to send anyone off to Japan to help you because they're going to die. And Salam, the Egyptian hero, was very upset about this. Yes. I'm well, sure that he could have stood there looking sideways and done something about it. Do we know what that character's quirk is? I mean, I assume it's something that makes him flat, but like, does it do anything else? <laughs> like, I hope it does something more. He's like, nah, turns me 2D and it fucks the people's minds so much their heads explode sometimes. He was just like, how would I... What happens if I, like, touch you? Do I... <laughs> He's like, well, you go to jail. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, he's like, my ability is mostly to like slip underneath doors, um, get carried by strong breezes and where that sends me. Uh, turn sideways and not get spotted when playing hide and seek. <laughs> <laughs> I can hide directly behind telephone poles. Uh, fences. I go right through them. Any fence. Uh, so you got like a picket fence. That's the main motive of defense for your drug kingpin. Boom, baby, I'm in. Yes, I shall always be there to stop crime wherever it may happen. As long as wherever that is, isn't too windy because I will get blown away. <laughs> as long as it's not around water or too windy. <laughs> or just like any like harsh elements. Like if it's too humid, I wrinkle up. Yeah. Uh, if it's snowing, I get weighed down by the snow. And um, don't climb stairs because it's very difficult for me to bend my joints. <laughs> In fact, horrifically painful. Horrifically. And uh, don't try and feed me food, please. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that is what happens with the state of the world. Uh, the, I guess, lead pilot uh, in Star and Stripe's uh, little crew uh, says that uh, her death wasn't completely in vain because all of their planes had were recording data from the battle, including biosignatures and analyzing every quirk that was used in the battle. And hopefully that will provide with a lead. And I kind of feel like that all of the heroes there are just like, damn it, why weren't we doing this with All for One literally a hundred years ago? <laughs> analyzing his quirks as he uses them. What a concept. Um, and, uh, then we cut over to UA and it's been two days since Midoriya, uh, got back to the school now. So he's had time to be forced to take a bath. Hooray. And All Might says, Hey, you remember how the deadline got moved up? We could strike that, reverse it. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's okay now. We've got a little bit of time. Yeah. So... I mean, I guess we could have just done this from the beginning instead of having this whole thing involving Star and Stripe. 
But maybe there will be consequences beyond just, oh, no, we studied stuff. We'll see, I guess. Uh, so all my parts passes this on, says that they're going to use the time for their advantage. And he says in a big full page spread of all the important people in 1A <laughs> looking serious. Uh, and we'll take down Shigaraki and all for one. Uh, and that's it. Doggo. So that is it for My Hero Academia. Uh, it concludes the Star and Stripe mini arc seemingly with a very strong note of finality. Uh, I am kind of still feeling the same way that I did last time about Star and Stripe, which is, eh, it's just, yeah, all right, you know, like we're just kind of getting to know her and now she's gone. Um, but it really feels like this is, if this does not have uh, very easily traceable consequences that feed into the future then this is going to be an easy thing for you to just kind of like wrap around in a little ball and take it out. Um, so I don't know how I feel about it overall right now. It reminds me a bit of how the promised Neverland would when it with its anime, just would just take these entire story arcs and just remove them whole cloth from the work. And uh, you could very easily do that with this. Do you have any thoughts to offer on that? Uh, on this chapter? Yeah. Uh, I was greatly amused when All Might was like, mm, Cassie, I wish I could have seen her. I was like, really, really fucked you up to know she died, huh? <laughs> you were apparently, like, deeply connected to the number one hero in all of America, and none of it fucking mattered to you. You seem very nonplussed about the whole thing. Like, oh, she's dead? Sucks. Wish I could have seen her or whatever. Oh, well. Yeah. So there's only so many American characters that he can have strong relationships with. I guess. You know, <laughs> look, Melissa Shield and oh, what was her dad's name? It was also Shield, obviously, but it was like it began with a D. Davis Shield or David Shield, I think it was. Yeah. So he was besties for the two of them, but we can't have any other American characters that uh, All Might gets along with. So everyone else, you just be like, "Who are you?" Like, I'm, you know, from America. You saved my life. Like, I did. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. This whole, this, like, chapter, beyond being uh, a short chapter, didn't feel like it accomplished a ton. It does tell us, like, oh, hey, Shigaraki's down there, which I guess is pretty significant, if only because time's passing, but it's only passing because we got stuck in this arc that's been largely relatively pointless. Like, I don't necessarily hate everything that's happened, I feel like everything we kind of said last week in regards to yeah. Star and Stripe as a character still applies. Like, you know, I know this chapter is meant to kind of be some measure of a eulogy for her, but it feels like uh, nothing was really said <laughs> to actually make me feel sad that she's gone, which. Yeah, I would feel honestly probably more negatively about it if it had been a stronger eulogy as you put it for mm. her character after we were just introduced to her you know like how with Sasakibe we spent so long over like what a huge loss he was and it was like this guy's been around forever and I don't remember anything he did yeah <laughs> so I think that this was probably the right amount of oh what a great character what a great person she was anyway moving on <laughs> so <laughs> it really can just be summed up in that single panel of all might be like wish I could have seen her like yeah I wish she was a better character too <laughs> I wish we could have seen yeah. a lot more of her Right. That is going to do it for my Hero Academia. Let's move on to Undead Unluck. Undead Unluck, number 88. 
Swear by my heart. So last time we were playing the card game and uh, Spring was struck by lightning because Fuko has been building up all of the unluck and is now activating it because she can love this UMA. And she starts by saying, I think this buildup of everyone's feelings will one day reach God. And uh, Spring's like, "'Twas a mere fluke! "'Twas a fluke that made the lightning descend upon me. "'Undead unluck affects those who you love and them alone. "'It would never work on a being such as me.'" And uh, Fuku's like, "'Why not? "'Cause you're a UMA? "'Nah, doesn't matter. "'I've done that not if I've developed those feelings for you. "'It's a wonderful thing, but also hard to bear. "'And several more strokes of unluck are coming your way, "'and they'll help prove my point "'that even people could come to, to love UMAs. It's going to hurt you. <laughs> it's going to hurt a lot. But I'm very sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm very sorry. This is going to be deeply unfortunate. But just like the person who approached you in the past, and we see a moment of, of spring, you know, throbbing as the, the control from God seems to be activating again. But it's like, all right, let's continue this game. And we uh, we get Latla's card of uh, the killing, uh, the sin of killing my younger sister through uh, my telling of fortunes. And it's like, oh, that's Latla. I'll go do it. Uh, boom. Once again, before uh, Spring gets the card, lightning strikes. And uh, Fuku's like, yeah, it's not a fluke. This is my unluck. And when I come to like someone, whether it's a human or a UMA, I negate their luck. So we see just a string of different cards, uh, and all of them, some kind of unluck strikes Spring. A tree falls on him at one point, the chest shoots into his face, I don't know how, uh, lightning strikes, and he holds up an umbrella to block it, and it strikes around the umbrella. <laughs> and then a big rock a just- visual. A big rock just falls on his head. They're currently on the top of the Tokyo Tower. I don't know where the rock came from. <laughs> it's just it, a it, big rock. I do love that as it goes further on, it just goes straight into Wily e. Coyote territory, where it's just like, no, no, things are going to happen to this guy and only this guy because he has the worst luck in the world right now. Yeah. And who has the worst <laughs> luck in the world? Wily e. Coyote. That's how you go. That's how you demonstrate it. So, yeah, uh, we do to note, get a couple extra teases to characters. We get Nico's uh, those days of my youth. I had spent in love with an unsleeping princess. I can never, ever forget and suffer through the present. So. Kind of giving more credence to the idea that Nico is unforget uh, and probably has some, some very tragic thing there. And we also get uh, Miss Yusai, who is he is he who is undead has taught me very well in the shades that uh, love takes. I shall search for a way to aptly repay the favor. So a little tease mm -hmm. to those characters to look forward to. Uh, finally, comes down to the final the final card. And Fuko is pretty much just like, yeah, look, people can fall in love with UMAs, and UMAs could do the same for people. Uh, Spring's like, no, that's nonsense. UMAs hate mankind, and mankind hates UMAs. We, like, we're bound to negate each other, and so shall the mortal world be. You know, we, it doesn't work. These are very things decreed by God, for those are the rules. And Fuko just asks, if those rules really exist, then why are you in so much pain? Spring is caught off guard by that. She says, all right, let's continue. The next turn will bring the final stroke of unluck. It's six cards apiece. There's no there's no need to guess at this point. It's just touched the one card that's left. So Spring's like, all right, before <laughs> it might have been an advantage for you. But now I just have to beat you to it. Like, it's fine. I, I could do this. <laughs> and uh, Fuku's like, 
I see. The card is meant for no. The it's meant to kill the UMA bound by God that you've become with a stroke of unluck. So here goes, and we get the little the little poem thing. On a day in spring, those unbreakable teachings that I came to learn, and we cut back into a flashback as a shin of the past was meeting with spring, and it's just like, oh, you want to play with the villagers? Like, oh yeah, I'd love to, but they fear me. They flee as soon as I show them. Like, well, you have made a name for yourself as the blossom demon of misfortune, after all. So that sounds pretty badass. <laughs> I kind of like that. It is pretty cool. Don't get me wrong. Print T-shirts with it, but we gotta we gotta do a face turn for you. So mm. here's what we're gonna have you do. You're gonna punch Baron Corbin in the face. I'm pretty sure he's the one dude everyone hates. So if you hit him, everyone's gonna start cheering you. Uh, we're also going to team you up with CM Punk in Chicago. You'll you'll definitely get cheered there. And uh, who's the most hated person in wrestling right now? You're gonna give a wedgie uh, to Vince McMahon. <laughs> That's a different kind of hated uh, wrestler. Um, he's basically. Look, I have one question. Okay. What's a t-shirt? We're gonna get you some of those too. I mean, your peps, your pecs are popping. Don't get me wrong, but I think maybe putting a shirt on would really help you out here. That might be what scares <laughs> people around. You put on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, it's like, hey, we're, we're going to do this whole event. You're going to lead the battle. I'm going to stop it from happening, like, uh, you know, uh, nobody dying with my Unbreakable. And then the Bloodless Siege will happen, and your Cherry Blossoms will be there at the heart of it. Everyone far and wide will fall in love with Spring. And we cut back to the end of the uh, the poem. I shall abide and protect. That I shall swear by my heart. And Fuko touches it, and we can see Spring has stopped in his tracks, thinking of that scene with the Shin from back then. And, she, you know, quietly she starts to get up, and a tear falls from the sky, and it's Spring, who is sobbing, just crying, saying... He is full-on ugly crying. Yeah. And he says, no, I'm sorry, t'was God that had taken me over so that I would take you, and then kill you, and then... And the final two-page spread, God seems to have taken control of Spring once again. And he's screaming, God, I shall not do it. I shall kill man no longer. Please, I beg of you, I need you to kill me. Because Fuko has won the round, so it's tied 1-1. So they have to go into the final game as God is trying to take control of Spring once more. Yeah. Uh, this has been a really intense, uh, you know, feeling and action driven, uh, little story, a uh, little battle, I guess it could be described. Cause this is a battle. I mean, yes. despite the fact that it's broken down into these games, um, and it's going to be interesting to see how it concludes, uh, given that now spring really doesn't want to actually do what he's being forced to do. So. Yeah. That's what I have to say about it. I'm really looking forward to the it, next I think it's a really cool chapter. Uh, really just well executed. Good art. Good just direction. Like I can, I, I feel myself keenly kind of in the moment when Spring has the moment of running towards the car and has this momentary flashback and comes back and is kind of stalled out in his run because he's thinking of this, this very treasured moment he has with somebody else. Like I absolutely caught that sort of uh, pacing and just everything about it worked really, really well. Hmm. All right. 
So, next we're going to talk about Boruto. Chapter number 64, Control. Uh, we get um, a cover image of Shikamaru, who's wearing his comfiest weekend wear, because that is a loose, ill-fitting coat over a onesie. Yes. Is he supposed to look cool? Because that is a onesie. I just want everyone to be aware of that. So, Pretty much. Uh, last time. He's Boruto... wearing, what, what, what did they used to call those? Male rompers? Like a, a romper? Yeah. Romper. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is like a romper with long pants legs. Yes. So I just imagine like he has to pee and he's like, I guess I'm getting naked to do this. <laughs> um. Last time, Boruto and Kawaki were facing off against Code, who said he was going to kill Boruto, but not Kawaki, because Ada likes him. Uh, so we see the three of them squaring off. Boruto has got um, the karma thing on his like face and stuff. He's all dark and nefarious and powerful now. Uh and Kawaki flashes back to when he said evil things the last time that this happened. Ooh. Uh, and so Code goes, Ah, Uzumaki Boruto, you're quite a puzzle. Momoshiki's in con consciousness. Why does it emerge to this degree when you're still only a vessel? And then Boruto says, Move back, Kawaki. It ain't safe. And then he dashes towards Code. Wah! Speed lines! And then uh, he summons Kagebunshin clones. Hota! And they, oh, speed lines! Punch, punch, punch! Speed lines! Punch, 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 punch! Speed lines! Punch, punch! Uh, they go through the trees, so, the, so there's no speed lines. Oh, but there are speed lines! Oh, because he put a strap on one of the Boruto clones and used it to suck himself in and come out of the tree. And then he puts his claw through the clone to hit another clone because look at that strategy so solid why doesn't the boruto with the claw coming out of him run away from the other clones if there is a claw coming out of him you know code's really really strong like i know all we've really <laughs> seen him do is the strap teleporting thing but he's really really strong so i guess you know just overpowers him uh, maybe he can use the claw coming out of the clone to put claws on the other clones. I don't know. Anyway, well, he, has he, to, he has to do a stupid strap thing first, though. Like the straps have to like, it has to. It's like he sets up gateways, but it's always his stupid straps. So like he'd have to put a strap on all the clones then. Or maybe if one clone has a strap on it and he clones himself afterwards, they all do it. I don't know. I don't know why they didn't send the person who's like, I reflect everything back to you that you ever send at me. Like, that seems like the dude who'd be way better at this situation. So eventually Boruto goes, well, he's sticking his arm out of one of my clones and gets one of the clones to grab the arm coming out of the other clone. And they yank him out and send him skidding along the ground while he goes, what? I never did I think that if I stuck my hand out of someone else that they would grab that hand. Ooh. You're too strong, kid. Uh, he scratches the along the ground. Uh, sorry, along the speed lines as he goes uh, sliding across the ground. And then um, 
does a thing with the claw marks. I don't know. I just hear. I just see them go dwoosh. That's all. Well, and that's the sound. That's the sound most claws make. Dwoosh. Yeah. Dwoosh. Dwoosh. Uh, then they both stop because that's what you do when you know you're fighting. You stop fighting. Uh, and what? How do you? How, what signifies a stop in the action? Speed lines. What Boruto reacts to what's been happening so far. Yes. Uh, he also well, says, Nick. It'd be very difficult to draw the intricate sort of um, details that help us establish exactly where everything environmentally is in this fight that's taking place in a random forest clearing. It's definitely, you know, like <laughs> we'd have to be able to follow all of the sites and scenes to make sure that we're keeping track of all the visual information we need to of how this landscape's fighting. Uh, because I mean, look, it's not like this is a random fight in a rock quarry, like a Dragon Ball fight. This is a fight in the middle of a forest. So you got to keep track of everything. There could be a tree at any point. How hilarious would a, a Naruto typical fight be if while they were doing one of you know, their flippy ninja bullshit, if one of them isn't watching where they're going and just runs to a tree. <laughs> ow, man. damn it. Ah, oh, time out. Ah, ow, ow, ah, oots. Ah, really stubbed my toe there. Really oh. stubbed it. Oh, oh, is it bleeding? Is it bleeding? Can you tell if it's bleeding? Dude, time, time, time. <laughs> I hurt myself. You dick. Uh, okay, so Kawaki analyzes this fight by saying, what power? Much more than usual, which, I mean, Boruto summons some clones. So I don't know what he's talking about unless he's very familiar with codes, powers. Anyway, he says Boruto is still in control when he managed to ellipses. And then code very covertly talks to Ada, who I guess is like his brains now. Like she, she tells him how to fight or something. I don't know. So, uh, she says, I wonder if it's an effect of Amato's meds. I can't tell exactly what's going on inside Boruto's body, but at the very least, he seems that he's now able to channel Momoshiki's power without his mind getting taken over. And Ko just goes, meds? <laughs> so, Ada says, I wouldn't write him off. It won't be funny if you go down before you regain your true strength. I mean, I'd find it a little funny. I just... Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> like, oh, man, code really did suck all the way down. <laughs> and we're just like, no, how could they kill off the best character? He just got ju he just got taken out like a goober. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> After so long, building him up. All right. So we cut back to Konoha at that moment. Oh, we're getting and to the good part. So Eno's like, huh? Boruto's chakra? Because presumably Naruto has told them all to track trace Boruto's chakra and he says yeah forget about Kawaki's switch everyone over to home in on Boruto's chakra a few dozen clicks around the village stat and he says this while he is in a meditation pose and some of his other clones are in meditation pose which indicates he's going to be doing some sage mode stuff uh to me since that is you know yes. how he would do that uh <laughs> censor ninja guys I I'm so sorry Lord Seventh I swear I had my eyes on <laughs> Which is so funny, because at almost no point did you have eyes on these two children. <laughs> like, Kawaki took the trash outside, went into a bush, and then came what out. You're like, same kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you almost never had a visual on this kid. They went back inside the house. 
So Bord Nart just says, "Look, you just 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 go look for Boruto, you dummy." <laughs> look, get the fuck out of my goddamn house at this point. Uh, and then Shikamaru arrives. <laughs> Do you like my romper? Uh, he says, "Worst case, the enemy will be there too. Code may have already tracked Kawaki down, even killed him." All right, Debbie Downer, calm down. Uh, Naruto literally says, Shikamaru, what are you doing? <laughs> he is your top advisor. Why do you need to ask him that ever? How did you get into my house? Like, First of all, I'm on your fence. Second of all, <laughs> I feel like that should not be a question we have to I ask over, each other. I come over for brunch every weekend. <laughs> You've contemplated giving me your spare key, but then I keep having to remind you, I'm a ninja. I don't need it. <laughs> that would do nothing. Your locks are child's play to me. Also, did you know that your foster son was went out into the middle of a bush and just waited there and then walked out and this inter ninja guy did nothing? Yeah, I found that out. Yeah, I was watching that happen because I live next door to you. <laughs> I can see you through my window. By the way, for the love of God, a curtain, something in your bathroom. It's it's. I have kids too, okay? This is something... I don't know why your window in your bathroom goes down to exactly crotch level, but that is a bad move. Please. For everybody. In fact, I, like, it's, it's below neck level for you. <laughs> you can't see out of it, but we can all see what's inside. I don't... Is it like a genjutsu? Are you fucking with me? What's going on? I could cast Genjutsu. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what you do anymore. I, 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 you're confusing me. All right. So Shikamaru says, well, I can't let you go alone because you don't have Kurama's power anymore. So you're a weak bitch now. So <laughs> his exact words. <laughs> Naruto says, are you telling me to abandon the kids? No, he said he's going with you, you dummy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Shikamaru has to clarify this, but it's in very, you know, shonen anime mode where they take like five senses to say what one sentence will do. Uh, uh then he says, Sai is guarding Amato when I'm gone. Uh, and, uh, 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 we'll go as soon as Borat is located. Hinata comes outside with Himawari and she says, I'll go too. Nick, I can't just stay still. Oh my God. Really? <laughs> It's happening. He not as a ninja. It's happening. Naruto turns to her and says, "No way." <laughs> he not as stands all over the world, hefted up for one panel. Isn't there a dish in there you should be washing? I wish Bar like I wish Naruto had like a hundred reasons besides like be safe. He's like, I don't know, that laundry's supposed to be done any minute. <laughs> Someone's gonna need to make sure it gets in the dryer. Honey, go back inside and make dinner. We, we ate already. Make tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow's dinner then get started on something. Chop chop our kids are depending on it. <laughs> Honey, you'll be at more. You'll be more useful at home vacuuming. She's like, but I already vacuumed today. He's like, I know you're not very good at it, which is really mean to imply why you're not going to be that useful in this mission. Every time something like this happens, I'm sure that there is some sort of 
fan work that gets inspired by Hinata being an unsatisfied <laughs> wife because Jesus Christ, like for the most part, I feel like, oh, hey, Boruto shows us that Naruto has come a long way. He's matured. He still barely recognizes his own wife. <laughs> it's like I want them to be like halfway to getting towards code. And they're like, oh, man, there's so much around here. I wish we had like a Byakugan to go see, <laughs> to see through everything. Yeah, but, but Neji died in the battle. <laughs> they're like, we lost, we lost the only one we have. They're like, you have two family members at home who could do it. Oh, that's can Boruto do it too? Oh, but Hinata's got a sister. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and an entire other clan, too, I should clarify. I'm sure someone else is in fighting condition in it. Uh, but <laughs> After Neji died, their whole family became housewives. <laughs> Every single one of them. Even the men, especially the men. Yeah, especially the men. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I, I I I had no idea that this happened, but I know you've been waiting for it. <laughs> I was really glad we didn't get this chapter last month because I know I made a couple jokes about code not respecting women, but it would have come off really bad if it was also in this chapter where Naruto just tells the only other female character in his life to be like, "Stay at home with the children. You'll be- <laughs> we need you here." Like. I don't know. Don't you have like 700 ninja whose sole job could be guarding Hinawari right now? I don't like. Uh, don't worry. We'll just. And there's Narsh is like, uh, well, I guess I could just leave the censor ninja here. I'll watch my kid. I'll watch you. I'll watch you. Go. <laughs> yeah, that should have been what he said. He's like, censor ninja, you could watch Hinawari. I'm like, look, no, I. <laughs> I'm not even worried about a monster or a ninja killing her or something like that. I'm just worried that this dumbass is going to, like, drop a jar in her head or something like that and not notice it for 35 minutes. He's like, I still censor Sakura, so she must be fine. She just go. The censor just goes inside to watch her and starts going through their stuff and is about to drop a, dr- a jar. And he was like, no, not another one, and dives underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> knocks her out she's bleeding profusely but again censor ninja's like i still censor chakra so she's got to be fine put the jar back together (laughs) (laughs) uh so hinata gets a look on her face that could be construed as worry for her son or could be construed as i just wish he would take me out sometimes uh and then she is like no you should stay at home Listen, if you get worried, just 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 call my former ninja wife and you can, you know, I don't know, knit in a circle or whatever yeah. it is you do now that you're not ninjas anymore. I don't know. Talk about soap operas or whatever you women folk do while we big strong men save the day. Like, I think a lot of problems that are happening right now because of the mistakes that you all keep making. But all right. Oh, God. Ah. <sighs> Himawari and Hinata say each other's names, and then Himawari says, "It'll, I'll, it'll be okay, right, Papa? You'll come back safely with Big Bro and Kawaki." And Shikamaru and Hinata both look worried. But then Boruto goes sage mode and goes, "Of course, have you forgotten who your dad is?" And then Himawari looks less, less assured than before. <laughs> He's like, oh, all right, you don't have the cool shocker anymore. No, <laughs> oh, sage mode. Oh, it's kind of very 2009. Yeah, I was looking for something a bit more exciting. 
Hinata gets worried and she's like, oh, I hope that Naruto and my new two sons stay safe. If only there was some agency I could have for myself that I could go along and feel like I had some measure of agency in this situation. Uh, if only I could go somewhere and like block someone's chakra points so that they wouldn't be able to hurt the people close to me. But that'll never happen. That's just well, crazy. to be fair, we did just establish that Code's thing is not chakra. It's almost chakra. It's pseudo chakra. Okay. Or maybe they explain it coming up in a second. <laughs> so we cut over to Boruto again, and he decides to try and use karma to suck up the, the, the claw marks, but it doesn't work. So they must not be made of chakra. And Kawaki starts explaining them. Well, I don't know. Code's over there. thinking about how cool he is <laughs> and not taking any action. Kawaki says... They're mostly physically embodied chakra, but there is iron mixed in from his blood, making them composites. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Enough to be considered physical matter, and thus karma can't absorb them, so be careful. More importantly, what's up with you? Where the heck did Momoshiki go? Boruto's like, I don't know. Somewhere. Whatever. So... And Kawaki goes, ah, well, that and this means that it's unreliable. Gah. He very calmly says, gah. Gah. So he tells Boruto, don't suddenly lose control. Jesus, I've got to pick up the pace. We're halfway through the chapter. Kawaki, Boruto says, let's focus on taking him down. That'll solve everything. Code says, where are the effects of those meds of the Matos? They can't actually get rid of Momoshiki. You're still Otsutsuki now and beyond. I will keep standing you, even though you're not actually Momoshiki, but you are Momoshiki. Whoa, it was confusing. My head hurts. So then uh, Bort is like, oh, how does he know about the meds? You were just talking about them in front of him. Shut the fuck up, Borto, you stupid idiot. Co Code says, not that it matters with your Borto or Momoshiki, as long as the divine tree germinates from feeding you to tentails. I did not believe code knew the word germinate so congrats there <laughs> yeah oh come on he's so smart uh maybe he doesn't actually know what it means he just locked into in this case is that once i germinate you then i'm going to take you over to <laughs> so then he says all that seems safe no quality related problems at all you'll be a top-notch sacrifice bird says no thanks my answer's never going to change yeah, I, mean, I assumed you wouldn't let yourself be killed. Stop acting like you're cool. God. Code says the completion of your specification is no longer an issue of if, but when. I'll be back for you once you reach peak ripeness. Until then, ha! And he vanishes into one of the claw marks and ha! Comes out of another one. And he grabs Kwaki from behind and around the neck. And he says, goodbye for now. It was fun. Uzumaki Boruto. I'll see you soon. And Boruto starts going towards him. But then Code's like, let's go, Kawaki. She's waiting. But then Code, uh, while he's just taking his sweet time, not vanishing into the claw mark he just came out of, that he demonstrated he could do instantly, he takes the time to brag about it because it's so cool. Kawaki uses a shadow clone and summons a shadow clone behind himself and he tries to punch Code. And Code catches it in his claw. And then that distracts Borto while he dashes in and he's like, hey, Kawaki, glad you're finally joining the party. And then Code goes, gah! And he disappears into the claw marks, but he can't take Kawaki with him for some reason. And so he takes, appears in another claw mark. And then he says, what is this, Kawaki? I thought you agreed to come with me. 
no take backs. And Kawaki says, don't get the wrong idea. Everything I've done and do is all for Lord Seventh. And Bard's like, yeah, and if we just take you down, that would be the fastest and easiest way of dealing with the situation, I guess he means. And then Code goes, gah. It just keeps happening. What is this? Is this the word of the day? Gah. Yeah. Gah. He says, I'm getting pissed off at both of you. Fine, let me make this clear. I'll go better. It'll go better for you if you just obey me. You tried this before. You tried that before. <laughs> Whatever. Bard is like, is that all you got to say? Come on, let's settle this. They, this is all dedicated, by the way, to a single page where it's like, oh, code of the top, porridge on the bottom. They're staring off against each other, saying cool things. And it's the most uncool things. These guys suck. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I appreciate Boruto truly encapsulating just how bad Smack Talk 12-year-olds actually are, where they're both just like, you should just sit down and listen to me. Oh, yeah? Let's settle this then. Like, and they don't, like, all it needs is one of them to start using the N-word or something like that to really just capture that feeling of being on Xbox Live all over again. Like, I'm going to, you're going to, I'm going to own you. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to obey me. I fucked your mom last night. Like, no, you didn't. Because she doesn't like little boys. She likes big, strong men like me. But I don't fuck my mom. You're a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been way better than that they said. <laughs> my mom likes getting fucked by big, strong men. Like my dad. <laughs> like what? <laughs> I'm glad that your parents have been happily <laughs> Anyway, so my point is, if you've ever if you've ever stopped and gone, man, the people who are acting like they're in Naruto sure are cringy. Yes, it's because Naruto has always been cringy. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Naruto with his Super Sage Bow powers finds Boruto, and then he's like, "But there's someone else there whose chakra I don't recognize." So Shikamaru's like, "Well, it's probably Code." Ino, are you there? We know where Boruto is. We're gonna go there. Uh, and then, so bye, Ino. I guess maybe she'll show up later. I don't know. Naruto's like, "All right, let's go." And Shikamaru says, Naruto, that sage mode of yours, you can't sustain it for that long. How long do you think you can use it? And Naruto says, don't worry, a lot longer than before, actually. Call it the wisdom of age. Or you practiced with it. Uh, whatever. <laughs> so he's like, come on. And Shikamaru's like, huh, sorry. Yeah. What wisdom of age? I'm going to see this everywhere now. Like, has this just Gah. always been a thing in Boruto? Maybe we just, we just ignore it. <laughs> Maybe Gah. it's just like, it's always just been a filler thing, and I just didn't notice until now. Uh, they set off, and Shikamaru tells Naruto not to overdo it. Speed lines! Well, Boruto and Code fight! Ha 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 ha! Disappearing Rasengan thing. Uh, but uh, Code vanishes into the ground again. Ha! And uh, Kawaki's like, oh, he used the claw marks to tell for the far away for the Rasengan. Yeah, that's what he does. Uh, and Code says, I'll have to watch out for those vanishing Rasengans. Yes, that's true. Uh, and Boruto says, damn it, wasn't close enough for us. And then Ada goes, close call, not funny, you idiot. Quit fooling around. Thanks, Ada. She, so, she really adds a lot to every scene she's in, you know? Boruto says, so cheap chicks won't work. I guess we just have to go all out. And then 
he takes a knee and gets fired from the NFL. Uh, so, <laughs> but then he goes, Gah! Gah! Ah! Ah! and the chapter ends. <laughs> and Boruto dies. It's, it's, look, it's an edgy way to end a chapter and a series. Because it is called Boruto, so the series ends as soon as he dies. Yes. Which is why Nor- Naruto is technically not ended. It's still going on because Naruto is still alive. Yeah. Once they're... Naruto dies, they'll just you know, they'll just like kind of rub out the Naruto next generation's parts. <laughs> they're like, oh, it's kind of sad that he's dead. <laughs> How'd you like the chapter, Nick? You just you just live read it, the whole thing. I'm so glad I didn't read this chapter twice. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, there you go. We'll move on, Nick. Let's talk about Eden Zero, Chapter 169, Declaration. And we get a big cover page with Shiki with an eye patch. Here to signify the fact that Shiki, having lost an eye, he'll have his uh, design radically changed going forward. We open the chapter. He removes the bandages. He has a human-looking eye underneath it. Never mind. <laughs> I guess that was our else our Elseworld uh, what-if scenario. What if Shiki had an eye that was robotic or was an eye patch covering i guess well you see the thing is chris uh you know um shiki's face is very distinct and memorable so you wouldn't want to go and uh, do anything that would uh in any minor form alter its appearance yeah well there's there's a lot of distinct changes too like a lot of distinct details you may not even realize are more important than you think but perhaps we'll have to get to that mm-hmm. uh sister's like hey I gave you a new magic eye. Uh, it also has x-ray vision because he can see underneath all the girl's clothes. And that's one of those lines that's just there because Hero is horny. Um, maybe this comes up later down the line, but I feel like this will never come up again that Shiki's eye can see through clothes. <laughs> um, they're like, hey, yeah, now your body's part mechanical. And he's like, yep, so now I'm a member of the O-Tech Club, too. And a bunch of characters just smile at each other, because that's how Hero does group shots. Just seven different characters fucking smiling. I guess Jin technically says, it's just an eye, you guys are overreacting. But that might be him being like, just because you have a robot eye doesn't mean you went to robot ninja school. That's a different thing. (laughs) What Were we supposed to think that... Shiki would be down about having an artificial eye for some reason. No, but I guess it's it, yeah. Like I don't, I don't. That would never <laughs> cross my mind. But I guess it's their way of saying like, oh, robots and humans are more alike than we think because he has a robot eye now. Yeah, but that's not what he says. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> I don't know if Otek's really specifically a thing. And like, I know it's probably a thing, and I've just fucking forgotten it at some point. But like. I'm gathering like, yeah, you know, I'm a cyborg too, like Jin is, and clean, and I don't think Kamora is. I don't believe anyone else in the crew is. Okay. Uh, Anyway, we cut over. Weiss is taking a bath. Someone comes in. He immediately is like, ooh, it's a sexy lady, so I'm going to get to see boobs. Instead, it's Laguna looking real nice. Yeah, look at his boobs. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, uh, Weiss is uh, just disappointed and then eventually goes on to say, hey, why didn't you go back to Oasis? Laguna's like, because they kicked me out. Have you not been paying attention to any part of my backstory? I'm not allowed to go back there. Uh, so Weiss is like, so you had to move in with us? And Laguna takes this opportunity to explain his backstory. See, he was an actor before he joined Oasis. And it was a small planet, and he was in an acting guild with a friend of him named Harold. And they were best friends, and they talked about all their missions together. And they were the greatest actors in the cosmos, and they were going to perform at the biggest theater one day. But then Harold died, and he's dead. Oh, Harold! <laughs> and now he's gone forever. And that was the reason why Laguna joined Oasis, because he realized that all of his tears were just an act at this point, and that there was nothing fake about real people dying. So I was, I, I, I was so much of an actor. I was only playing a part of myself. Am I crying more than I need to? What does my face look like right now? I was actually calculating how I should be crying. And I don't do that anymore. And I don't know if Hero understands how acting works because none of this seems to make any sense to me. Like, you (laughs) should probably still be thinking in certain roles, how am I crying? Because there are absolutely wrong ways to cry depending on the scene, but whatever. So two things. And I think that it's going to be the second thing more than the first thing. Uh, But it appears to be a somewhat of a combination between these two things is what I think is what's going for. The first is that when sometimes when you experience a heavy loss, uh, people find that they don't react the way that they feel that they are supposed to, which is this because everyone reacts uh, to a loss uh, and grieves in different ways. Uh, And sometimes a different way, the same person will react differently to different losses that they have. So for example, if someone really close to you dies and you're like, why am I not sad and crying all Mm -hmm. the time? It's because you're just not processing it in that way. At that moment, there may come a time when you do cry over them. There may come a time when you just grieve for them in a different way. Uh, Just because you are not crying uncontrollably does not mean that you do not care about that person. You do not care about the fact that they're gone from your life now. Uh, But the second thing um, and this is, I think, the bigger thing is that what he is saying is he was so drawn into acting that he was obsessed with controlling the way that he appeared and the way that he behaved to the point that he could not act genuinely. He could not be true to himself when something devastating happened to him. He was still in control of what he was doing, even in that moment. And that's an interesting idea. But. I agree with you, and I was going to bring up this point about this scene. I like the idea behind it, but it is stated incredibly awkwardly. This is definitely a thing that I think if we had gotten, like, a chapter to see it happening, then it would hit a lot harder to see Laguna not being able to actually mourn the loss of his friend Mm. genuinely because he was so caught up in his own thing. Yeah, And I do like the idea of a, of a person who has an I am an actor gimmick who can't really tell what their true self is because they're so drawn into that. That's an interesting idea. It is stated incredibly awkwardly during this exchange. Well, not exchange, this 
monologue. Intro yeah. Intro dub. Uh, so basically, Laguna is continuing. Like, I joined Oasis, and you know everything that happened to that. And Weiss is like, why did you tell me that backstory? And Laguna says, even after I gave up on becoming an actor, I was constantly playing a part. The part of an unemotional man who's sworn vengeance on the Empire. And Weiss is like, you know that's not an act, right? Laguna doesn't follow that up. He says, but I don't need to play that part anymore. So I've thought about what I want to do. And what I want to do is to help you guys. You and your crew defeated the Empire. I want to be the waters that take you down the path you're meant to go. And it is basically the exact same motivation that Jin had for joining the crew alongside Clean, where they're like, we want to be the wind that carries your ship forward. I guess at some point they're going to find the person who's like, I want to be the fire that shoots your engines down the path of destiny. I want to be the rock that you stumble over on your way. Wait, <laughs> hang on. I want to be the space rock that you don't collide upon, but rides alongside of you, perhaps created gravitate. You know what? I lost it. Hold on. I'm going to enter the door again. And you're going to be like, maybe it's a sexy lady. And we're going to start this whole conversation <laughs> all over again. This time, I think I've got, I think like a meteorite's definitely the allegory I should be going with, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, all right, I'm going to open the door. You think it's sexy lady, go. And action. Wait, <laughs> damn it. I'm obsessed with, still obsessed with acting. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Uh, we cut over and we see Hermit saying, uh, I'm looking over these old logs. Eden Zero left the soccer cosmos, passed through the Owl cosmos, and then it made it to the Cade cosmos. And I presume that is where they're going to be going. But uh, Shiki pops in on the space com and is like, everybody, listen up. The Eden Zero is continuing its quest to find Mother. And that is our ultimate goal. It's not going to change. It's our dream to make it to Mother, something no ship has ever done before. But while I was fighting that war, it hit home. I learned how dangerous Ziggy is to this universe. He also says, how dangerous Grandpa? No, how dangerous Ziggy is to this universe. He wants to create a world for machines and only machines, and he'll do anything to make that happen, even if he kills bots without killing a second thought. So for the first time, I was able to truly see Grandpa as my enemy. And we get a flashback of Shiki on Grand Bell, yeah. where... He injured himself on his cheek. And he's like, oh no, is this going to leave a scar? And Michael says, we don't have the tech to remove scars here on Grand Bell. And Cheeky's like, oh no, I'm going to be a loser. You have to heal it. And Ziggy comes up and is like, oh, for pity's sake. And slaps a bandage over it. And he says, now no one can see your, ca your scar. And Cheeky's like, wow, I look so cool now. Thanks, Grandpa. And in the present, Cheeky rips off the bandage, which has left a very large visible scar so shiki must have fucking just like slapped his face up against some like sheet metal or something like some glass like i don't know how he injured himself that bad that it leaves that visible of a scar uh but he's like so before we set off for mother that's something we gotta do this isn't about revenge for witch or anything like that it's about saving the universe where we're gonna beat ziggy so before we move on to the end of this chapter, mm -hmm. uh, this is seemingly a point of like transition for the series in a couple yes. of different ways. This is like, okay, this is going to be like the next part of the story. I'm sure that you know, there's going, there's a very clean break here um, between 
what has happened now is going to happen next. And one of the things that distinguishes that is the fact that Cheeky's appearance is being updated. And it's being updated in a way where uh, an injury has caused a permanent change to his face. And at the beginning of the chapter, on the title page, we see, ah, his eye being crushed replaces it with an electronic artificial eye. And now he looks very striking and different. And then that's not the difference <laughs> that is permanently made to his appearance. But instead, it's a boo-boo he got when he was six. <laughs> when he was playing around and tripped and fell on a rock. And that's the big important facial injury that we see the results of forever and ever from now on. And you know what? I always would forget that Cheeky had a bandage on his face. The fact that he meaningfully removed it <laughs> says nothing to me. It, it can't be stressed that the deep motivation behind this is one time Cheeky wounded his cheek as a child and Ziggy put a band-aid on it. And that is the entire thought process. Like, I obviously understand that there's more to it of like, this is when I looked at him as a grandfather. I always kept this bandage on because I saw it was cool. And now I no longer see him as my grandfather. He's this monster has to be stopped. So I will reveal this wound to the world and go forward chasing this person who must be stopped, who was so important to me as a child. Like, I do get that. There had to have been a better backstory you can create there than Shiki injured himself on something. <laughs> and thus... Ziggy walked up and was like, oh, shut up, and slapped a band-aid on his face. I mean, there's so many different things to say about this point. I mean, I understand that if you want to give, like, a distinguishing facial difference thing, then yes, having a black artificial eye is a time-consuming thing to have to draw over and over and over and over again. Instead, drawing just Shiki's face, but with a scar where the band-aid used to be, is much easier and helps you to do it repeatedly. I get that. That I, I'm not knocking that choice. I'm knocking the decision to show you what that would be and then take that away for something much more underwhelming. Now, even if you wanted to go with the facial scar thing, that could be fine and be more effective too if you had at any point drawn attention to the bandage he's always wearing before this point. Like I said, I constantly forget that that is like, the one thing that Cheeky like has on his face all the time. Mm. If instead of it being introduced haphazardly, three quarters of the way through this chapter where Shiki takes the band-aid off as to why he wore the band-aid, what if when, say, we wanted a demonstration from Shiki like in chapter two, we get a moment where Shiki, you know, insists to Rebecca, no, they were my friends, and my grandpa was really, really nice. And we see this extended flashback where Shiki falls and hurts himself, but and this big scary robot shows up and he's very gentle and kind with Shiki and he puts the bandage on him and you focus in on that and show that in times when Shiki was scared or hurt, that this big scary looking robot who had a reputation for terrorizing the cosmos was very gentle and caring. And then you can draw a contrast between that and when he gets way more terrifying and evil again yeah. to show why she keeps changing for this way, which is the point of why we see the flashback and why he's taking it off. That's what it is meant to represent. And I think that that is 
a perfectly fine thing to show why he does that. But you can't just throw it in here at the last minute. Like, and this is why the band is important. Yeah. <laughs> just sow the seeds a little bit ahead of time. That's all I ask you to do. Uh, we cut forward and we cut to Zhao Mei, who says the fall of the Empire and the destruction of planet Nero 66. Those events liberated the Owl Cosmos. Still, countless lives were lost in the process. Between one to two thousand, maybe even. Who knows? <laughs> uh, they note the Union Army took over Narrow and are trying to put a new administration into into place. And Oasis disbanded, but is now essentially reforming itself into an official civilian military organization. And then my favorite, the conflict between humans and bots on Forest had escalated. But through the mediation of the dead cam CEO, Rickard Peace, Rickard, sorry, peace and harmony are gradually being restored. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> Thank God he solved the problem. I'm a good person. That's right. Me. <laughs> really? Is... The tech CEO guy. <laughs> he, should, he definitely should sound like J.K. Simmons playing J. Jonah Jameson. Where he's like, oh, no, these robots. Like, I feel like he needs to have a cigar in every shot that he's like ashing on the ground indiscriminately because he doesn't care. You never see, you never see him smoking it, but he's constantly packing <laughs> the ash off the cigar. <laughs> he's ashing onto dead robot, egg robot's body. Like, shh. <laughs> oh, they have an ashtray in the middle of the forest. How handy. You guys have to stop fighting so I can tear down this rainforest planet and build a mini mall. <laughs> go. He is a bad guy. He's a 90s movie villain. Oh, boy. Zalme continues. Meanwhile, the Eden Zero is set to find Ziggy, who is once now, again. Her feet continue. Yeah. Uh, her feet continue that Ziggy must be found. He's disappeared once again. So Shiki has declared that he will get stronger in order to defeat the Demon King. Here we meet, reach a major transition in our story. Splish, I guess she cried, or water fell. I don't know. It's cosmic storytelling land. Three years after the Owie War, and we see Shiki's back. Time skip. Yeah. Um, true to the nature of Mashima Hero time skips, it just kind of happens. Um, it abruptly shows up. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say like it doesn't come at a significant point in the story because I mean, yeah. it's probably the most significant moment that we've gotten in the story in in Eden Zero probably thus far. Quite you know, quite a lot has happened in the past like two months. A member of the crew just died. A planet fucking blew up, and the power balance in the galaxy has greatly shifted. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'd say it's like, yeah, it's a pretty good point for a time skip. But it really does just kind of feel like, and now a time skip. It's, 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 it's a little bit weird. And I I do wish that if there were going to be, like, we had a lot of moments in the last couple of chapters that were just focusing on, like, you know, small character interactions. And I do appreciate that. I do wish that we had gotten, you know, like a little bit for each character in the crew to kind of like just like establish this is where they are at. And then you can contrast that to where they are at the end of the time skip. It's mostly just been like Shiki, Rebecca, and then like the new members of the crew, essentially. Like, 
they're going to be part of the crew. That's that's like what we checked up on. Whereas, you know, like there could have been a bit more with uh, Herman and sister. There could have been some with Homura. Like the, the Homura's whole thing was like, well, that guy that was from my planet died. And I feel bad about it. <laughs> it's like that was her, the thing with her. Didn't she also have like a pledge? She was like, now that I'm part of the four shining stars, I'll make sure we never lose another member again or something like that. <laughs> I might be, I might be imagining. I'm very, that's very possible. I, I forget a lot of the small details about this series. Um, no, I, I like, I think as you're kind of saying, this is like a weird spot for a time skip, not in like, narrative because you're like yeah this would be a great place a lot of things have happened a moment of transition lets us like digest it all at once and kind of give us things to show but it's just very sudden at the end of this mm -hmm. chapter to be like three years forward like all right i guess yeah that that was my reaction as well i was like all right yeah <laughs> I, I will give credit to hero uh i have found myself unable to predict the narrative of Eden Zero for quite some time now. I really fully expected one of these chapters recently to end with Chronophage going by fucking the Nero 66 and be like, Mop! and all the shit's just back again, and it's like, here's the other time. Like, I really expect that to happen. So the fact that none of these things are happening is something I could respect. It means Hero is a beat is predictable. I can't say I like the decisions that are being made instead, but I'm going along with them. Um, although there is a part of me that's also thinking, I wonder if Eden Zero is just not doing well financially. <laughs> and it's just gonna Yeah, it's kinda like, alright, we're not gonna run as long as Fairy Tale did. We're gonna we're gonna start tying this up a little bit quicker. <laughs> I don't know how well the Eden Zero anime did. Uh so I don't know. From what I understand, sales of the volumes have been down since Fairy Tale in comparison. Mm. Let's talk about Ayashiman, Chapter Two. This monster battle stuff is intense. Um, I'll admit, I have read this chapter, but I don't think any of it lodged in my brain when I read it. So, yeah, uh, we get a bit of a recap of the plot. Yakuza boss, who was an Ayashiman, died. There are new powers at work, and uh, there is uh, all these different families who are splitting off, vying to be the next uh, leader of the gang, and there's a war over it. And uh, so in that moment, um, oh gosh, I forget her name, the girl. Uh, oh god, I'm, it's too early in the series for me to remember characters' names. Girl boss says, the only two members of my <laughs> we gang- We can't call her girl boss? <laughs> Uh, says that the only two members of her gang currently are the two of them. Uh, and she, but it's like, yeah, you know, we're a small group of elites who are going to take advantage of the district's chaos. And Maruo says, I don't, are you sure you can do that? And he's, uh, he's like, what the heck? Is this girl sane? Why does she even want to rule? We rule over what? Yakuza? Monsters? Cute little girls? This is confusing. My brain is starting to hurt. Yokai? Gay, gay, gay? Gang warfare? Kabuki? One on one duels? And then his head explodes. Note, figuratively, I hope you like that joke, because not the last time in the chapter it'll be used. This is now a uh, 
emoji on our discord so if you would like to respond to something by saying oh my head exploded by how much information i, I saw your nostrils flare up <laughs> you're so furious carry on we're, we're, we'll get through this quickly this might actually be the thing that our server has done that has pissed me off the most <laughs> Even getting themselves a full channel to discuss VTubers? That's fine. <laughs> Shit. They All right. It, they just do it over there, and I don't go in the channel because I don't care for it. But I'll, I'll see people using the fucking stupid-ass fucking this series thing all the time now. Ah! All right. So, Maruo um, dances off? He does like this while he it talks about how hyped up he is. Um, and uh, then they're like, all right, we got to go and crush Shinjuku's border guard. Let me explain that. She explains that. Uh, and she says, there is a guard on the ground, Hashihime. And uh, which basically sounds like chopstick princess in Japanese, so it's a pun that I don't understand because language barrier. But yeah, Yokai Hashihime shows up. It's a big old Kijin with uh, big big hooved limbs and a flaming mask skull thing. Um, so Maro's like, all right, I gotta beat her up then. It hits him in the face. Blah, 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 blah. He goes flying. And uh, he's still alive, obviously, because he's the main character. But then... Hashihime removes her mask, and oh no, it's a hot woman. Well, I guess this is going to be everyone's favorite new series now, because there's a hot, badass lady in it. Ugh. So, um, Hashihime starts talking with uh, Urara. That's her fucking name, Urara. Uh, and uh, she says, Returning to Shinjuku with a mere human like him, that is the height of foolhardy recklessness. But then she gets down on one knee and kneels and says, part of my presumption, but please turn back. Uh, and so they start striking a conversation because these two know each other. They go way back. Hashihime used to be um, her chaperone or in service in some way to Urara's family. And they exposit on things in a way that two people aware of a situation would uh where she says that day when i got the news of the chairman's passing i made the personal decision to take you out of shinjuku i did it because i knew you were precious to chairman kyo i was your attendant and you were precious to me too i wanted you to live a life far away from this world let me guess is it doubt that's brought you back are you hoping to find the truth behind your father's death and then Urara gets really scary, question mark, looking and goes, Neil, I gave you no permission to rise. This body I inhabit is young, but I am still an Oni. My kind of been divinities of the spirit realm since ancient times, and you have your doubts too. I know you do. Kyo, my father, his death was unnatural. Someone murdered him. But what I want isn't the truth. I want revenge. Urameshia. Woe unto them. Can you imagine my helplessness? Forbidden from attending his funeral, hearing about his death only via the news. Woe unto his killer and unto the syndicate for failing to protect him. I came back to Shinjuku for a single reason. 
She already said that. She started to repeat herself. So she's not good at making speeches. No. Um, Who is, really, when you think about it? I don't know. You can take classes for it, though. So <laughs> uh, she says she's going to kill all the murderers, and she's going to destroy the MS Syndicate along with them, which surprises Hashihime. And then Arara says, it'll be my final parting gift to him, telling me to go off and live a dull life without selling the score. Uh, Maro is fine. He comes up out of the uh, pond, I guess, that he was knocked into. And he's like, oh, man, you hit me hard. This monster battle stuff is intense. This is totally that fight. Kentro versus Devil Reborn. Go read other manga, people. Don't read this one. Read better ones. So... Ashimi puts her mask back on, start fighting again, and she's like, this will convince Ms. Urara to give up if I beat her supposedly strong dude, and uh, starts punching him with her hoof fists, knocking him into stuff, and Maro goes, ow, yeah, she's really good. I can't overpower her. I'll have to use my head. Here I go. And he runs into her and just punches her arm off. Hata! Super smart attack. This is a smart thing. I punched you in a different place and just blew your fist off. And Hashihime is like, what the Got, fuck? Did it catch a giggle out of you? No. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, was it supposed to be funny? Was <laughs> it supposed to be funny? This, did the series tell a joke? I can't fucking tell. Anyway. I thought it was funny. Maruo goes on about <laughs> stuff he read in manga because he's such a great character with great depths to plumb. So then... He's like, what? You want to fight more? I'll fight. Hashime's like, let's keep fighting. And they start punching each other while Urara monologues to herself. And she's like, yeah, he's really, you know, he's not normal. He's strong. Uh, and there's something that's different from Hashiman and from humans about him. I don't know exactly what it is. But because he's so different, he catches his opponents unawares. And if he ever gets caught too hard to handle, I'll just dispose of him. Okay. You know, it's, uh, there's something that I think is meant to be ironic about that, that she's like, wow, Ayashimon really underestimate this guy, but if he ever gets too uppity, I'll just dispose of him. Whatever. <laughs> uh, they punch each other so much that the greenhouse, question mark, that they're in breaks apart. Hashime is knocked on her ass, and then Urara is like, thanks for your devotion, Hashime, but I'll be on my way now to pay my respects to the departed. Sarcasm mode. And Hashime is like, ah, that kid's an expendable pawn to you, isn't he? Just as I was. And Arara looks all evil while saying, and does that upset you? And Hashime says, no, I'm actually proud of you because you've grown strong, miss, frighteningly so. And then she's like, hey, you, kid who just beat my ass. Listen to me. Shinjuku is a really dangerous place, so you should stay alert because view and view everyone around you as an enemy. And don't forget these names. The four most dangerous groups in Shinjuku. The new Enma Syndicate, led by the second chairman. He is far more vicious than his predecessor. Then, there's the Todoroki Alliance, which has all the fangirls in it. <gasps> like boring people. A collection of biker gangs who split from the Syndicate. And then there's Ayakashi B-Stars, which are two more interesting series than this one. And then... There's the Cory Hotel Where, group. Hold on a second. Are you going to say Ayakashi Triangle is better? Yes. <laughs> In with the mom. Yeah. All right. All right. Anyway, she explains that these are the four factions that I'll have to, you know, learn. And then Maro's head explodes. Note, figuratively. 
Ah! Is it chapter three yet? No, we're still at chapter two. Uh, I feel like I can currently gather your impression of this series, though. I'm really worried what's going to happen next week. Why? No reason. What would possibly happen next week that would have you concerned? Like, if anything were to happen. Maybe. Maybe nothing will happen next week. Yeah, maybe. Look, we have another piece of trash series to talk about. So don't you, point. don't you worry. We might be storing this for another time. We might have options. All right, let's move on to Magachan, God of Destruction, for a brief respite from this bullshit. Chapter 68, The Ten Divide Generals of the Holy Knighthood. We begin with a an evil council meeting, like, you know, like all the great shonen battle manga have, where everyone gathers around a table and discusses what they're going to do, and all of them have distinct appearances, and they all look cool in different ways, including a guy who's just wearing a suit and has a knight's helmet on, because that's how he rolls. Do you think that he has to, like, you know, be speak up to be heard through the grill? I mean, there's, there's, I, I assume that the cross maybe also is hollow, in which case I think there's enough acoustics. It would just found very echoey, you know? Mm. There is a person with, uh, I believe glasses, but with a chain on them, like they're, a, like they're a monocle, but you can't see the other glass through the, um, you know, undercut the fringe. Yeah. The fringe. There is a dude with a wonderful mustache and goatee yeah. uh, who has a bowler. A He's very dapper. Arm. Very, very dapper. There is a lady with a veil and a, and a summer hat. And there is um, a shonen character who wears a hoodie over no shirt and also metal gauntlets. So they're all very look normal looking people, basically. Anyway, they have gathered around their table for a meeting. In a cafeteria somewhere, which is a great uh, a joke. I like that joke. Like, we are gathered here, and they're just in a fucking cafeteria in some diner somewhere. Uh, they start talking ominously about certain about some stuff. Uh, a kid passes by, and it's like, who are those people? His mom's like, don't stare at them. And uh, then um, their little order thing uh goes off the little device that people hand out when you go to sit at your table while waiting for your food to be made uh and hey they they, they go up and they're very nice customers they're very polite they they clearly are unfamiliar with the ways of technology and stuff but they're like oh thank you and so they've got that going for them mm -hmm. they also are in communications with ninisty ninitsi the astral who reports them like yeah portal's all set to go guys yeah uh, and then they say, we will continue with the stakeout as planned. Our targets are madness, destruction, and... Uh, we cut over to Ruru's house at that point. She's waving goodbye to Magu because he's going to be helping out Izuma with studying uh, as they are going to go to the library to meet up with Ren uh, to study and stuff like that. Uh, the reason for this is that... Um, they can't use Ruru's place because she's using it, and they can't use Ren's place because he's trying to avoid everyone because Ruru saw him and Izuma's sister in a compromising position, and he feels as if the world is ending. Also, Naputiku's there because 
why wouldn't you bring Nabutku with you for anything? So, uh, Isma's like, if you don't feel well, you should rest at home. He's like, no, I'm not going home. I hate it there. So, um, then he apologized for making Isma study in a noisy place. Uh, Isma says, I, I feel like I should apologize to you. I'll talk with Sarah about about what what's happened. So, Magu says, so you're here again, Naputaku. And Nabutaku says, it doesn't hurt to help Uneris from time to time. Yes, it does. <laughs> but then he says that they have free samples here. It's like, all right, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Magu and Naputaku both love food, so they rush off to grab some free samples, and they run smack dab into somebody's leg. And Naputaku gets really pissed off, uh, demands that everyone get out of his way. But of course, he has stumbled into the Ten Generals of the Holy Knighthood, uh, one of whom uses an attack called Grand Cross Disaster, which Ren calls a lame attack name, but I just kind of feel like, it's all right. It's you know, fine. It's, it's you fine. know, it's not memorable, but, you know. Izuma, of course, recognized them immediately, but as the smoke clears from the attack, the five of them gather together and say, Wicked gods, allow us to introduce ourselves. This is our first time meeting. And one by one, they declare themselves the wise general who uses my clever mind to take charge, Alhout of the Violent Gale, the ruthless white sorceress who has mastered the art of magic, Elisha of Ice and Snow. I am the mighty arm that crushes and burns evil, jackal of scorching burns. I am ready to serve piping hot tea at a moment's notice. That's his power. <laughs> Ergot of the Blazing Inferno! And I am the boss who holds the ten divine generals together. Guild a bar of blazing heat! To which Ren, I believe, points out, isn't that, like, too many fire people? <laughs> and I have to go back and be like, oh yeah, more than half of them are just fire people. Everyone always wants to be fire. It's the coolest one. Yeah. <laughs> so. They introduce themselves in total as the Holy Knighthood's ten divine generals, and so Ren finally points out what I've been thinking, like, wait a minute, there's only five of them, but they call themselves the Ten Holy Divine Generals. And they're like, yeah, so we're kind of, like, short up at power now, but we're still the Ten Divine <laughs> So, I love that joke. It's great. Um, they have come to, to convey a message to Izuma, saying that his mission, monitoring Mogmanuak, is over, and he is ordered to return to headquarters. Uh, and they also say that we should have never left this region to the Unaris Fragment. She kept on lying to us about what was going on. There's all this stuff that's happening, all these seals that have been broken. Uh, and the, for, the reports from you and Unaris are not worthy of our trust, so we will assign you to a different mission in a new area. And Ren says, hey, I don't know who you guys are, but you don't know what you're talking about. And what about all his efforts? We're in the middle of studying for exams. <laughs> you old dork. Uh, Gildabar says, those are unnecessary! Because, uh, of course, they want to just destroy wicked gods, and they're going to get ready to do that. They're going to attack Magmanuak. Um, and then the police show up and uh, say that they're answering a, a call about a disturbance, and they need to take them away for questioning. Um, and so... Yeah, the, the Ten Divine Generals are like, we can't disobey good people, so we're going to leave now. And they escape through a natural gate, which means that they're disobeying good people because they didn't go with the police. But, okay. Eh, they're, they're evil all along, it turns out. Yeah. 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 
Uh, but as they leave, they say, we have completed our goal, though. Until we meet again, wicked gods. Uh, and so Ren's like, what the hell was that? But Magu says, they completed their goal. Of what accomplishment do they speak? And then at that moment, Izuma is the one who realizes what's going on and says, they were just trying to buy some time. We have to hurry back to your home at once. And Ruru is answering the door and Sarah's there. And she's like, oh, yeah, your brother will be back here any minute. But Sarah just reaches out and takes Ruru's hand while Nanitsi curls around it and says, I'm sorry, Ruru. And a portal opens behind her and she starts to pull Ruru through it just as Izma and Magu arrive on the scene. And as Ruru is being pulled through the portal, Magu reaches out for him, but he just misses her as the portal vanishes. And Ruru's been taken to the headquarters of the Divine Generals. And of course, Izma is left to wonder what Uneris is up to while this is going on. And hey, her messenger pigeon arrives and is a letter for him. Oh, I believe it's actually from Smash Brothers. It's got the Smash insignia on yeah, it. That's a good point. Yeah, it does. <laughs> that is an off-center cross. Yeah. So. Uh, did not care for this chapter, Nick. Hmm. Uh, I'm glad people found this uh, an amusing chuckle. Uh, I couldn't help the entire time. It's just making a joke about like shonen villain groups or whatever that I was like, this feels beneath Magu-chan. Like, <laughs> there's so many other jump series that are like, we're going to make fun of jump stereotypes. I'm like, all right, I'm on board with this. And when Magu-chan did it, I was like, I used to respect you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're just more used to uh, more... <laughs> Like if Roll. if this if this was a me and Roboco joke, I'd be like <laughs> another, and I'd have slammed my table. When I saw this, I was like, I feel like the Putaku should be in like some wacky scenario, <laughs> or like Magu Chan should be blowing something up. I, I I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Magu Chan making fun of, of shonen things. I'm like, no, it's this is you know, do better. You should be striving higher, aim higher, Magu Chan. I believe in you. I did really like two different things about uh, this chapter. One was that they very obviously laid out, they call themselves the 10 generals, but there's only five of them. And they just kind of leave that for like half the chapter before they actually deliver the punchline. And I did appreciate where it just was left there very obviously. Mm. And I did really like the joke that more than half of them are just of the fire thing. Yeah, some fire themed or whatever. Yeah. I do understand your point. Despite having Naputuku in this chapter, there's not a lot of great Naputuku moments. It's weird. A chapter without Aeneris and didn't care for it. So maybe, maybe I've been wrong all along. Maybe Aeneris is necessary for chapters. Maybe they, maybe they always need her. Well, given that this is a chapter that is all about the introduction of the top brass of the Holy Knighthood, and she uh, delivers a message to them at the end, maybe Aeneris is actually just covertly influencing this entire chapter from behind the shadows. I like to think that when I said maybe chapters just need more Aeneris, like lightning strikes in the background <laughs> in the next chapter, it's like, I decided to dress us all up like Japanese schoolgirls so we can play a rom-com or something like that. All right. Are you ready, Chris? Yeah, let's speed through this fucking garbage. Chapter one of our new jump series. Protect me, Shugomaru. Protect me, Shugamaru! Okay, there we go. It's a series about an Ojo, literally, that is her name. Ojo is her last name. 
Sanagi Ojo, and she's getting a bodyguard as she starts high school named Shugamaru. And the joke is that Shugamaru is a really good bodyguard, except that he is very, very, very overreactive in protecting her from very minor threats, and it acts with unnecessary force, which puts Ojo in greater danger than the supposed dangers themselves. So, Nick, the first joke of this chapter is like, I'm your bodyguard, and then Shugamaru sees a bee near Ojo, so he throws a grenade, which is a way over-the-top reaction. Plus, it was more dangerous to her than if the bee had just stung her. Now, I know you're thinking, that joke is hysterical, which is great, because that is the same joke that this chapter will repeat for 25 straight more pages. I hope you like gag manga, because they repeat the same joke over and over and over again. I don't know why I sang that, but here it is, so here we go. So that's what happens there. The, the, the thing is that Sanagi's from a very uh, prominent rich family and such. She needs a bodyguard because uh, there is an evil organization or whatever called Skull that's after her. Shugumaru is like, I'm going to protect you. And Shugumaru is only 10, so he's a little weird looking guy. He looks kind of like one of the, the guys from, from Gash, you know, because the big eyes and the eye marks and stuff. But I guess he's just a guy. He's from a clan who guards the Ojo clan and stuff. Uh, and he has all of these gadgets that he uses to protect her that are all dragon themed. Even with their thing is this belt has hands on it that pushes people away. The belt is shaped like a dragon because um, I did appreciate to a, a, a small extent that there are guys who try and hit on Sanagi and when her belt pushes them away, she's like, okay, I guess this thing isn't all bad. It, yeah, it's, it, it, it gets rid of jerks pretty effectively. And then for whatever reason, when she tries to pass between two statues and the, the, the pushy hands push against the statues, it squishes her instead. I don't know. Well, that's just how science works. Yeah. Um, also, those statues were clearly far too placed far too close to each other um, for anyone to pass through them. So I don't know why she tried. It also looks like there was a lot of room on the other side to just pass through it without having to run into any obstacles. Yeah. So maybe she's just dumb. Like she's, yeah. just, she's not a very observant person. Uh, but it's okay. Uh, so Shugamaru breaks one of the statues. Yeah. Oh, hey, a guy that you know, seems kind of nice tries to make friends with Sanagi. And Sanagi's like, oh, cool. This is exactly what I want to do. Because the entire reason I came to this, you know, you know, plebeian, as she puts it, public school, is I just want a, like, a regular boyfriend, which is the... There are a couple of honestly very human moments in this, which are like this one where she says, look, all the guys that I've like been paired up with before are just really rich snobby assholes who only care about money and stuff i just want like a normal boyfriend and that's not going to happen while shugamaru is around her because he's overprotective and reacts to anyone in her presence by attacking them such as when they try and just shake hands and uh he uses a fucking freeze ray on him it's the only joke i think i laughed at in the chapter or found myself amused is he's just like we should be pals my name is and then he's frozen and Ojo replies, yes, your name is what? Like, I suppose that's mildly amusing that she doesn't react to the freezing part. It is more along the lines of like, great, continue that thought. 
but it's still not very good. And then again, we still have like another 20 chapters of, or 20 pages of it. So 20 chapters. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's hysterical. We're not getting to 20 chapters of this. Uh, we get more stuff uh, like uh, Shugamaru having to taste test Sanagi's food, but he doesn't like the food that she's eating because he's a little kid and he just wants sweet stuff instead of the vegetables that she's eating. Oh, what a funny joke. Then, uh, while S Sanaki is going to drink some water from a water fountain, someone goes to get, take the water fountain next to her, and Shugamaru's like, get the fuck away from her, and zaps them with electricity, and the electricity travels across the wall the fountains are on, and shocks her too, so she winds up in the infirmary. And there is a cute guy there who is looking after her, and she gets all blushy around him and as he's helping her up on her feet and stuff he goes to stab her in the back because it turns out he's an assassin oh my god it's the thing that shugamaru's been watching out for this whole time uh and he goes to attack her he's got a big old slashy stabby knife it looks like ichigo's sword basically um and, but he goes to attack her with it and shugamaru gets in the way uh and blood flies out of his chest and they're like, oh, my God, you're bleeding. And Shugamaru says, I have blood to spare from my training and all. Okay. So uh, then Shugamaru's like, you are already defeated, assassin guy. And the assassin's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Did you not notice? I've been filling the room with deadly poisonous gas. You have but a few minutes to live. And then Sanagi's like, so that means we're going to die, too. And Shugamaru goes, Oh, hey, made a situation worse. That's joke of the series. So, uh, it turns out the assassin, because he is an assassin, has some antidotes against, you know, general poisons. You know, see, whenever you use a poison on someone, you have to clearly label what kind of poison it is so they know what kind of antidote to use if they have it. So he takes a capsule, and then Shugamaru snatches the capsule so that he can give one to him, uh, to Sanagi. And then he uh, uh, blocks the guy's attack when he tries to kill him with the sword punches him a whole bunch and the guy's like oh my god this guy's so strong and it's time for a character backstory the reason why shugamaru is so dedicated to sanagi is because when they were kids uh she protected him from uh stray animals and stuff and then he protected her in turn and then was like oh okay well the next time that we meet you'll protect me right and shugamaru's like yeah i promise and he picked a flower and gave it to her and says i'll protect you to the very end such as the Teko clan's duty. In the present, he's still protecting her. They rush outside. It's raining. The assassin guy has taken a random bystander girl a prisoner and says, you must give yourself up, Ojo Harris, or else this girl will die. Uh, Shigemaru's like, no, he's going to harm you. Can I destroy him? And Sanagi's like, I mean, yeah, sure. And then they spot that, oh, yeah, the guy who got frozen outside is still out here. That's not good. Also, um, the icicle surrounding him has gotten bigger. And Shugamaru says, yeah, see, the rain falling on it adds to the mass of the growing ice. That's not how that works, but okay. <laughs> so uh, he then picks up the icicle thing that the guy is in and throws it while saying, have an ice day, which is the level of humor we're dealing with. And it lands just under the guy's foot because he just kind of steps out of the way. And then so the assassin guy starts mocking him. And Sanagi's like, oh, no, he's going to kill that girl. I better get myself up. But Shugamaru says, you need not, Sanagi. And the icicle starts going crackle, crackle, steam, steam. And 
Shugamaru says, lightning prefers lofty heights because the giant icicle is acting as a lightning rod now. And lightning strikes and strikes the guy while he's standing on the roof of the school building. Ha! Thunderbolt! And honestly, this was my actual favorite moment of this chapter. It's a two-page spread seeing this guy get struck by lightning. And then the very next page is also a two-page spread as the lightning travels down the wet uh, uh, surfaces of the walls of the building and also shocks Sanagi. Mm-hmm. I liked that. That's about it. So, <laughs> Sanagi passes out because being struck by lightning is no big deal. Getting electrocuted twice in one day. She's fine. Uh... As it's like Pokemon, by... Nick. You can get shocked by like the electricity a hundred times. They're fine. Yeah, as long as you you know you know just spray some potion on them after. Yep. it's fine. You know, maybe take a paralyzed cure or something. So, uh, Shugamaro has wrapped things up. Literally, he has used his dragon device things to tie the guy up. And then the butler calls up Sanagi and says, "Wait till you hear this. Aside from the assassin group Skull, there's also the assassin known as Fennec after your life." And Fennec, the assassin, goes, It is I, Fennec, who will never live this down. Because, you know, that's that's how people talk. Uh, and so Sanagi says, Wait a minute, you're not Skull. And Fennec says, No, I'm Fennec the Blade. So now we can't have Skull, the real assassin person or group, whatever it is, show up in the first chapter. That's got to be saved for further down the line. Chapter you know? 13, when we're about to get canceled. Things need to be really important. And then Fennec for whatever reason, decides to really compliment Shugomaru by saying, yeah, you know, all the times that he was being really obtrusive and stuff, I wasn't able to get close to you in any way. See, here I was in this shot, and this shot, and this shot, trying to subtly assassinate you. So instead, I had to use the direct approach because of that. And then there's a moment where Shugomaru goes, I protected the wind flowers from the lightning, Sanagi, and he put a cover over wind flowers. And Sanagi's like, why the wind flowers? And there's a flashback. And now she remembers when they were kids and they met. And when he gave her that flower, it's actually when she decided to wear those flowers in her hair. And she specifically says, everyone needs defining visual traits, and this will be mine. Ba-dum-bum. And then she's like, oh my gosh, Shugomaru, you made that promise in the forest. And now I get it. You ran off during the lightning strike to protect the wind flowers. Good job guarding those flowers. Why did you protect the flowers and not me? And she punched him in the head because he wasn't doing his job because he's a bad ass uh, bodyguard. And then she's like, the electricity nearly killed me. But Shugamara says, don't worry. Skull is still after your life. And anyone we can meet could be that vile assassin. But I'll protect you, Sanagi. And Sanagi's like, yeah, if you don't get me killed first, oh boy, what's going to happen between these two crazy kids? Hey, we'll find out, I'm sure. Or will we? Uh, so, this is not a great first chapter. Though, to be fair, a lot of comedies and jump tend to grow on me over time. Uh, I will say, I despise the art style in this series. It doesn't uh, do the comedy any favors, is the big problem that I spot. It does not do that. Uh, it's just also not good to look at like i guess there's the spot where it's like the bad guy reveals his intentions you're like oh like an art style shift that's good but it just looks ugly and i hate it and it's bad i don't dislike this series but the problem is that i did not laugh at any of it i the most amount of amusement I got was when I saw the lightning strike thing happen. I was like, ah, that's kind of funny. 
And that's not great when you've got, you know, an extra long first chapter. It's telling jokes all throughout. It's like, yeah, that one was kind of funny. Didn't laugh. It's kind of funny. So it's not for me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's good when your your comedy focused series gets a wry chuckle out of you maybe once. And it's like, oh, that's it. You really needed to get like a couple chortles at least. Mm. You have to get to the, at least the level of a stifled snicker. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just like that. <laughs> uh, all right, Nick, let's talk about Dr. Stone. Time yes! to get stoned. It equals 219. Three heroes are going to go to the moon. They need to select who the astronauts going on the space mission are, who is going to go after Y-Man. And so in order to decide that, they need to take some astronaut-level tests and stuff. There is a big meeting where Xena goes, see, the mission to space will be different from the missions to the pa- past because the majority of the flight, including the takeoff, we're going to actually have the astronauts be petrified. Interesting. Uh, so they're only going to be revived for the critical part of the mission. And Sega says, yeah, designing our life support systems was way easier with that assumption in place. So, interesting. Uh, so, we need... The problem here is that we don't know the exact nature of the mission. We don't know who the Y-Man is. And we don't know if our science will actually beat him. All we can rely on is our experience dealing with the Y-Man's Petrobeam. That key factor may decide humanity's fate, and as such, we will not seek out astronauts from the 21st century. Instead, we will select and train three astronauts from among us. I don't know if that's a good idea, because memes, so. But we reestablished that they need a pilot, a scientist, and a warrior to go on this mission. Uh, so Ryusui is like, well, I'm going to be the pilot, right? Zeno uh, then says... Picking our scientist is more of an issue. I must remain on the ground at mission control, and no one else can fulfill that role. And everyone kind of turns to look at Senku and be like, oh, well, I mean, obviously Senku's got to be the scientist. But Zeno points out, yeah, I mean, during the flight, he'll be fine because he'll be petrified. But our astronauts are going to need to undergo stamina training. And everyone was like, oh, right. Senku was a really, really, really weak beanpole. And we get a shot of him trying to swim, and getting on the verge of drowning. And Nikki gets to do something. Because she's like, oh my god, you suck. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. <laughs> so, Senku struggles to do that. Uh, we cut around a bit to, because uh, people are starting to come more together as they need to come together in order to build stuff. Hey, Yuzuriya and Taiju are reunited. Uh, blank and <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was like, we get the oh-so-dramatic uh, return, finally, of the two characters who were the emotional heart of this series at the start. Ginro is still... In, infatuated with girls, Kahaka beats him up. Yay! They get more focused than Taiju and Yusuriya does. Yep. Equal amount. I guess uh, him getting beat up extends the scene, so I guess, yeah, yeah it is longer. Uh, Zeno uh, also has gathered the troops from their different places because they need to select their warrior from among them. Meanwhile, Senku is training to by swimming and stuff, and while he's swimming, we see all of the strong people just darting past him. Uh, and I do like the, the you know, bringing up the point of, hey, Ishigami was a fishing village. All, all of its people knew how to swim. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also we get a really good uh, callback to when Seku helped teach Byakuya how to swim when he was trained to be an astronaut. And so he rededicates himself to getting back in it. Uh, and he swims very clumsily uh, in order to get going. 
then there is a concentration trial that people have to undergo because, you know, they're, they have to be able to solve different uh, problems on the fly. Kaku uh, uses has to solve a maze. Seku's really good at this. And we see that Sai has made a maze-making program because some people solve mazes for fun. Sai programs a maze-building program for fun because he's a giant nerd. I also don't want to judge people, but if what you do for fun is solve fucking mazes, then I I don't know. It's you relive a charmed life, I guess. <laughs> I make spreadsheets for fun, so. <laughs> uh, but I can see that. I, I I just mean like if I'm gonna do a game, maze is the last fucking like. If you hand me a friendly kids mail, flip, yeah. If you flip to this the highlights magazine or whatever. Yeah. If you show me all the different games I could be playing, a maze would not be the first thing I would, I'd be like, Oh, I'd like more of this, please. Oh boy. Then we get uh, some people going through equilibrium trials. In other words, they are on a platform and get spun around really, really quickly. Uh, we see that Ginro and, and Kinro and Magma are all really, really bad at this. So uh, look, if you get spun around a lot and you, get dizzy and you throw up that probably means you can't be an astronaut like i just that's just how it is guys so uh sukasa he can jump Arrow, look at how awesome sukasa is everybody ryusui brings up the obvious point does that mean that sukasa is going to be our warrior but xeno says well not necessarily because all of our candidates have proved to be elegant physical specimens and we're not just comparing raw stats and records says senku the battle against y man's going to take more than that and uh, as they are talking about this, we see Tsukasa reacting in shock as Kohaku darts along past him and does some cool flippy jumpy stuff. And uh, as they kind of lock eyes while she passes him, Tsukasa just kind of looks at her in shock. And then we cut immediately to night where he has called her for a meeting. And Kohaku's like, hey, what do you want to talk about? But before she can get that out, he turns and attacks her, ha, with his big old sword, and she blocks it with her knives and skids away, demands an explanation as they go back in fighting, and Kog is like, all right, we've been through so much together that I refuse to believe that you're actually trying to betray us right now. And Tsukasa smiles and stops attacking her and says, I'm sorry, Kohaku. Forgive me for gauging your skills. This brings back memories of the day we first met and when we cross blades much like this, and after countless life and death battles, you are now just as capable a warrior as Hyoga or myself. And Kaku's like, oh, come on, you know, when in martial arts, I can't measure up to you and stuff. But Tsukasa says, the gap between us is not the yawning chasm you imagine, especially given the weapons now provided by the kingdom of science. Science, the great equalizer. We can have guns, so it doesn't matter that I beat you in hand-to-hand -hand combat. <laughs> I do really like that. Like, look, we kind of surpassed the point where me being able to beat you up with a stone stick is actually a notable thing anymore because we did develop machine guns recently. <laughs> and so Tsukasa says that it is his opinion, and he's they've now gone back. To, he's now gone back to meet up with Zeno and Senku that it is more appropriate for a nimble agile warrior to go into moon combat and also it'll reduce fuel consumption by quote dozens of kilograms because Tsukasa is 
it's not really brought up much, but he is huge and entirely made of muscle, which is dense. So, mm-hmm. uh, so he basically recommends Kohaku for the mission, and they go along with this. And so the three people who are going to be going on the space mission are Yusui as the pilot, Senku as the scientist, and Kohaku as the warrior. There we go. Yeah, I guess this is... There's some nice little moments in this chapter that could definitely be appreciated. I do like the little little scene between Senku, or not Senku, uh, Sukasa and Kohaku. Uh, and as you mentioned, like the, the callback of, of Senku training uh, Byakuya back then when they was doing swimming and everything like that. Um, I kind of almost wish like more time had been spent on each position though, mm-hmm. like to really establish. Cause like, there's a question I still have in my mind, which is like, all right, we've done a lot. Why the fuck haven't we just revived Stanley? Like, at this point, wouldn't it be pretty clear Stanley's not going to kill Senku and take over the Science Kingdom because right. we've created all these different cultures and the internet and Zeno is 100% on board with stopping Y-Man as well? Like, So in my mind, I was like, oh, maybe maybe Stanley will be the outside shot for a scientist hmm. or something like that. And it's just like, nah, it's like sort of like... Basically, the question just became came down to, like, Tsukasa and Kohaku. And I was like, oh, okay. I guess that's the two who should have been in consideration for it. And then Scientist, it felt like we didn't even really stop to consider Chrome not or Suika. And I was like, oh, like, okay, I guess it's not really, like, a big competition for those spots in the same way I thought it was going to be. It was sort of like, Senku will do it because Zeno has to stay on Earth. Like, okay. Yeah, I feel like... A chapter on each position would have been interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I feel, is the best chapter of Dr. Stone we've gotten in a couple of months now. And having this stuff drawn out for just a little bit more would have been really nice. Because it's like, oh my god, look, little character-focused moments. We could have had more of these. Yeah. And nope, gotta keep going. Gotta get, Gotta go. That's we, what we like about. We Dr. have to invent Stone, apps right? now. <laughs> we we we've got to go. We've got to fucking invent uh, TikTok. We need we need to we need to make sure that's around. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see like, uh, uh, for example, like if uh, the quote unquote smart people of the group were all being considered to be potentially the scientists in some form, uh, and you know just have like brief arguments, just kind of like building them up in some way, like. I don't know, like, if you want to be like, oh, Chelsea would be really good at, I don't know, using moon rock skills. something. <laughs> yeah, something. You know, be, I don't know, you're the writer. You do imagine what she would be good at on the moon. What? But um, it feels like we have so large of a cast for it to have essentially come down to four people for three spots by the end. It's like, oh, OK, I guess that's a little disappointing. And, you know, a chapter day, KDH1 would have had a moment of like, OK, well, Chrome is being is like a front runner for, to be the scientist aside from Senku. And like you could have a moment where it's like because Senku can't do the endurance training, then maybe Chrome can do it instead because we know that he at the very least has oodles of endurance mm-hmm. uh, as demonstrated by various ways he has solved different problems. But like there could be an issue that comes up that Chrome can't solve because it is unique to space travel. Or it turns out like there is some sort of con- inherent physical condition that Chrome has that would make him a really bad choice for space travel. And so it does does come down to whether or not Senku can overcome his lack of stamina. And then he does. And I feel like that's something that you could kind of breeze through in one chapter. And you could just do something similar a couple more times. And then you could have just had 
hey, a reminder of like who these people are that are going on this mission and what makes them special and what makes them special in the sense of what they've been through in order to come to this point. Yeah. How special and important it is that we complete this two-way rocket to bring these important people back home then afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. But still a good chapter. Yeah. All right, Mick. Nick. I called you Mick. That's not your name. Let's move on That's to... That's okay, Chris. <laughs> I'll be Mick for this one chapter. <laughs> All right, Mick. Let's go. Chapter 86 of Martial Magic and Muscles, Lance Crown, and the Wicked Whack-A-Mole. So, as this chapter opens... Previously, Mash was locked in a box, and I do like it because the cover page, the color page, has Mash sitting there with the tea light as he brought up before. So he managed to get some ambiance in his little black blocks of oblivion, apparently, or at least uh, imaginarily. So he did. Um, the one person who joined up with Rose Quartz has grabbed one of the key and is apparently very French, because he's like, "Oh, allow me to be your opponent, Monsieur Lance." And then he leaps into a door and Lance goes, chick, I guess try to survive until I get back, Dot. And Dot has a great expression. He's like, ah, hell. <laughs> so this chapter, we're just focusing on Dot and, uh, or not Dot, Lance and this character. Um, I guess Finn is watching from a screen somewhere. I'm not sure where. People are watching this, but I guess Finn is just watching from a very uh, nondescript location. And uh, the person who introduced themselves as Charles Coniti, uh, Quintini, uh, is going to personally escort you to hell. Lance is like, uh, I'm just going to kill you instantly. And Charles says, no, your gravity, oh, your gravity useless is, uh, magic is useless against me. Oh, I need to take this. And it's getting a phone call. Gets a gets a phone call. He pulls up magical item, rabbit phone, which is just a hideous rabbit thing that's going <laughs> and he's holding it upside down as well. And he's like, Hello, mama. Yes, I am doing well. Oh, dinner. Definitely. I will be home soon. Oh, and you, you have got me those band-aids, so I am fine. Oh. And hangs up the call. And it's like, my apologies for interrupting our duel. And Lance says, gross. Talk about a weirdo. That's not the thing you should let other people see. And uh, Charles is like, why not? And he says, you just take it too far. We're not preteens anymore. Clinging to your mother like an infant. Who wouldn't mock a guy like you? Right, Anna? Right, Lance! <laughs> and it literally says in parentheses, squeaky voice. And I fucking lost it when I first read that scene. The sudden escalation of Lance's <laughs> sister complex into she's his special friend is really jarring. I love it. I just love right, Anna. Right, Lance! Yeah, I'm just here. Keep at it. Uh, so Charles is like, oh my world, he's completely unhinged. Who are you talking to? And Lance says, my little sister. He's like, but there is no one there. Are you mad? Lance's like, you have no right to question my Santa, you mama's boy. And Charles goes on a big rant about how mothers are the only source of pure, unrequited affection in this world. The only relation. Yeah. There is no other. My mother. <laughs> 
The only relationship we have that isn't based on selfish interests. They gave me their love, their time to labor. How could anyone choose not to cherish the mother? I've been a mama's boy since birth. That's a really funny line. <laughs> and Lance responds, and that's supposed to impress me? Well, too bad, because I've had a sister complex since before I was ever born. <laughs> so... Clarify, his sister is younger than him. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Charles activates his magic, which oh <laughs> obviously... Obviously is whack-a-mole magic. <laughs> uh... So it's a whack-a-mole room and uh, it summons a bunch of whack-a-moles and he says, this is the whack-a-mole room. We're forbidden from attacking directly here. However, we can attack the whack-a-moles and when we do it, they punch the other person. <laughs> so oh, it's it, it also summons, when a, when a whack-a-mole is hit, it summons another whack-a-mole with a pompadour and boxing gloves <laughs> to punch the other person. <laughs> And uh, Matt, me and Lance is like, what a stupid setup. At least the rules are simple, though. And he goes to use his gravity magic, and it's just moving too fast. And every time it dodges, it like pops up and it's like, <laughs> like kind of mocking him. So like he's the, like, like the Doug Hunt dog. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Charles explains that your gravitation magic isn't fast enough because, as you can see, my portal magic can connect two spaces with zero lag, allowing me to whack it instantly. You can't possibly win. And he hits another one. So Lance gets nailed again. He's trying to figure this out. But every time he, he does his graviole attack, even if he hits a whole bunch of them at once, it's not fast enough. And it pops up, starts laughing at him. And uh, Charles is like, foolish fool. <laughs> like fucking Francisca Von Karma from Ace Attorney. For this mole can detect magic energy gathering before spell is cast. A high energy spell like your gravitation magic is all too easy to see. It's time to admit your def... Huh? He's still trying. And Lance is just getting pummeled this entire time. And Charles laughs gleefully, saying, Monsieur Lance, it seems you will lose at my clever game. And we cut over to Lance, who's thinking, Lose? Me? And we see a bunch of uh, thoughts people have had about Lance. Lance is kind of creepy. You're, like, too strong. Why you gotta be so rude? What are you thinking? Like that song. Song yeah, rude? Like that song. Yeah. Like Nick, I wanted to reference that song. I don't know who sang it, but I want to do it. Uh, and then he cut to his little sister, who's like, I hope you find a friend who understands you too, Lance. If you let some, and cuts to Lance, be like, if you let some nobody steal those coins from you, they'll be hell to pay. And it's it's mash. It's like, oh, you don't have to warn me, because that won't happen. But thanks. I'm glad you said it. It's nice to have a friend who you compete with. So Lance, you can't lose to anyone either, Okay. And Lance just says, I'm going to lose, question mark? He doesn't say question mark, but we have to, you know, establish that it's a question. Yeah, well, I mean, when without the descriptive text of squeaky voice, then we just have to make up our own inflections. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Charles is like, don't you understand? Your magic can't. And Lance's magic hits. And he's like, wait, what happened? Why didn't the magic sense kick in? And he sees, oh, Lance has used his second its spell. And it's such an extra, you know, extraordinary large amount of energy that it's tricking the magic mole's sensing abilities. And he says, but that can't be, as he gets punched by his own spell. And Charles is like, what? 
pers what perseverance, what drives you to such length? And Lance says, for years, I fought solely for the sake of my sister. I blocked out all but that one goal. Despite what I'd become, someone helped lead me back to the right path. Now I have two reasons I can't lose. My sister and the promise I made to him. Yeah, it comes out pretty, sounding pretty cool in the end, doesn't it? Yeah. After a great escalation of the two competing jokes, it eventually just becomes a pretty cool chapter overall. So good stuff. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Let's cut over to Black Clover, page 314. The Mass. So Mariona defeats the devil that she was fighting the demon because oh, I don't man. know. I, I, she was still fighting it? Wow. Yeah. Well, the way they explain it is the more you use Hellfire Incarnate, the hotter it gets. So I guess she just gets stronger the longer she fights or something. Yeah. You, know how, you know how like a single thing being on fire acts. It gets stronger the longer mm -hmm. the single thing is on fire. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, we cut back to the Black Bulls, who are like, "Cool, uh, we did it. Let's 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 solve everything now, because we've defeated Morris." And Dante is like, "Thank you for your service, human." Second level of the underworld opened, and suddenly all these demons start pouring out of it. And uh, I I don't want us to pass by this image, okay? Because holy shit. The sheer amount of weird-looking monsters in this one panel, it must have taken a lot of effort yes. to draw them all in this one bit. For a moment that has no impact on me. <laughs> a lot of effort spent on something that got a casual huh out of me as it happened. Um, Tabata Sensei is a very good artist, so I want to stress that. And Tabata, I hope, is taking care of themselves. Uh, so now that the second gate has been open, uh, Lucifer was like, ah, I can combine all these devils from the first two levels into a solid mass into form a vessel in which I can manifest. And we see like outside the Clover Kingdom castle, this big creature that is essentially an amalgam of all these uh, devils has formed and has a mouth and these twisting tendrils. And oh, it's gravity magic is so powerful. It's bringing everyone straight down. All the other captains. Oh, if this goes on, the world will. And we cut over to the uh, various characters as Rogue is uh, like absolute evasion from Vanessa. And then Charmy gives a bunch of mana. Gray gets multiplied a bunch of times because of Gauche. And then she converts a bunch of matter. And then Gordon use this thing to make it so I don't know, somebody else gets their magic reserve. Anyway, they turn a giant Black Bull headquarter and just punch the devil right in the face and that's how the chapter ends. And the first time I read this chapter, I laughed out loud because I was like, sure. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> like, I had a Let's spend the whole chapter building this thing up to just repeat what we did two chapters ago and punch it into oblivion. I mean, look, they made a giant robot. I'm not going to dislike that. I'm that old, that's, that's about it. I mean, I, they made a giant robot yeah. out of the castle. So. I, I, I only disliked it because it's it, like the whole thing is like, look, we're using everybody's powers together to make this happen. I was like, we did this two weeks ago, though. <laughs> they did this exact same thing. But this one's bigger. I know, but... <laughs> 
<sighs> All right. All right. Let's wrap this up with One Piece. One Piece, chapter 1032, Odin's beloved blade. Uh, so we see some sights of the battle going on. Uh, Marco is talking with, with uh, Izo while Marco is in his uh, Phoenix form. Uh, talking to him like, hey, what what the hell's going on? Why am I carrying a, wound, a wounded man around? And Izo just says, sorry, that message earlier. The outcry about an enormous apparition has me feeling uneasy. Where was that enemy before? Ooh, where are they planning? Um, so... There's a whole bunch of chaos erupting. Uh, now the beast pirates are trying to get rid of the samurai because the samurai are blocking the exit and the fire is going to kill them all if they don't get out of there. Uh, we cut to the second basement level where X-Drake and Apu are uh, chasing each other slash Yamato, who is trying to race down into the armory to you know stop the fire from setting the thing and exploding it. And then they come across the numbers, including Fuga big giant guy and Yamato is apparently kind of friends with Fuga because he says nice to see you again but I'm in a hurry and Fuga says Fuga good old Fuga so Fuga uh, an announcement goes out to everyone saying that the fire monster is heading to the basement uh, then all of a sudden um Usopp and Robin, who are falling from an upper level trying to get away from CP0, fall on Fuga's head. And so their their landing is cushioned. And CP0 is going after them, or rather going after Robin, and the giant flaming ghost thing is after them. And they turn and are like, wait, what the fuck is that? Ah, we're on fire now! So that's good. Uh, and it continues to move downward completely uncaring about the fact that it's passing through people and wall alike. And it's going to pass through the floor as it goes behind Yamato. And Yamato's like, oh no, if it goes any further down, then the island's going to explode. And he calls out to Fuga saying that he needs his help. Uh, Usopp and Robin... Brooke. Not Usopp and Robin. Brooke and Robin. I've been saying Usopp this whole time, haven't I? It's My okay. bad. Brooks. Only the Look. nerds would correct you. Uh well, there we are. So, See, that's how you turn it against them, Nick. So Brooke and Robin are looking around like, okay, well, CP0 is on the other side of the flames now, so we should get out of here while they're distracted. Um, speaking of distractions, so I don't know what Apu was thinking here, <laughs> but he starts to go click, 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 and the sound effect causes camera flashes to appear as he takes pictures because he's saying click. I don't know if this is an ability he's demonstrated before, but I guess that's what he's doing. And he's taking pictures of, well, you know, the only one of these guys that matters. <laughs> and so he's like, oh man, laptops of the Celestial Brothers are here in Kaido's castle. This will get me a huge payday from Morgan's. Eh, nice to know that the that Morgan's is still an important character, I guess. Um, and then he gets punched in the face and falls over. <laughs> As you um, do. So. Now this is. Um, who I think it is, right? Uh, okay. Which character? Because well, he's wearing the mask, right? Yeah, we don't know who that is. Like, if okay. you're thinking it's Lucy or something like that, it's not. It's not. Okay. Guy Lu with Lucci. weird eye. Lucci. 
Yeah. Guy with weird eye uh, punches out Apu, who falls and has his eyes go bleh. And then he says to X-Drake, do you think we're not aware ex of exactly who you are? Oh, man, X-Drake was a bad double agent. Who could have thought? So, and then X-Drake says, then why don't you start with some excuses, which I don't follow why he said that. But okay. It might be because, like, if you know I'm on the side of the Marines, ultimately... Why are you trying to kill me? I guess. If you're working for the world government. I don't, I don't That's that's my thought, but I mean, he's also a triple agent at this point, so. Right. Uh, to which the CPO guy says in response, inconvenient truths are meant to be erased. And goes to punch him too, but then he gets hit by an explosion because Apu was only pretending to be knocked out. And he goes, boom. And they're like, and he's like, oh, man, I know how to use a little thing called arm and hockey, idiot. And you're going to pay now. And you, X-Drake, you're in the Navy, aren't you? And X-Drake says, shut up. Are you in or are you out? And Apu says, they started this fight. And X-Drake says, no, you did. And then they start attacking the CPO guys. Oh, boy. And Apu and X-Drake team up. Just what I wanted to see happen. At least they're fucking doing something. Like, maybe they'll beat <laughs> these fucking... Like... Every time I think of one of these characters, I'm like, it's still a little bit cooler than what Hawkins got. So, <laughs> like, in my mind, I'm like, all right, maybe the ultimate goal, because if, if Apu is turned and joins the side of the good guys, it would lend the idea of, like, all right, maybe all the supernovas are eventually going to be good guys deep down or something like that. Maybe Hawkins will get a chance to redeem himself. That's what I'm quietly sitting there still kind of hoping. In the same way, I'm like, yeah, I know the New York Giants haven't really drafted a bunch of good offensive players in a while, but maybe this year their offense will just eat ass for, for 12 straight games. You just, you have to believe, because what else do you do? Um, and that's that's where I'm at right now. Okay. Zoro versus King happening outside the dome. Uh, excuse Continuing. me, it says, it says Zolo versus King. Sorry, <laughs> not saying that. King demonstrates how pteranodons hunt their prey by grabbing the spine horn extending out of the back of his head and pulling it backwards so that his face stretches back. And then he releases it and it snaps forward and fires the crest like a stake through the sky and Zoro has to dodge it. And he just says, the pteranodons of the ancient past hunted their prey just like this. And Zoro says, damn, I had no idea. <laughs> I truly, truly think this is the best joke One Piece has maybe had in a very long time. That no one has any idea how dinosaurs work and are doing it all wrong. <laughs> and they're just like, really? Dinosaurs work that way? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> To think that a, tri a triceratops using its crest to turn into a helicopter was the starting point. <laughs> also, maybe the most tame of all of them to a certain extent. <laughs> Zoro tries to launch an attack to, uh, you know, bring King down since he's flying through the air and stuff. He launches his 360 pound phoenix and King just kind of dodges it and keeps on launching attacks from the sky. He's like, damn it, I'm just wearing myself out down here. Uh, and then he says, I'm guessing that flame on your back says another pteranodon feature. And King says, it's not. So 
Zoro's like, oh, all right, I've got to get this guy down to my level. So he uses the Black Rope Dragon Twister and summons a tornado that slashes at King from all sides. But King draws his wings in to block them, and he's really clearly not getting hurt at all. And uh, Zoro's like, oh, man, everyone on your side soaks up a lot of damage between the dragon and the dinosaurs. Uh, but King says, yes, but in my case, it goes even beyond that. But fine, I'll give you a sword fight. I do enjoy a good duel. And he goes back to his uh, human form and draws his big old katana and starts clashing with Zoro. And Zoro's like, this guy is really tough. I've hit him a few times. He's not bleeding. His wings can move, so they're not just ornaments. But I don't know if he can fly in this form or not. And the flame keeps burning on his back. And I thought they were part of his devil fruit powers, but I guess that they're not. What the hell is this guy? Is he a fish man? Is he some race I've never heard of before? I've got to solve whatever this is, or else I'm not going to be able to beat him. And as he is thinking this, um, King knocks him on his ass, almost literally. He's more knocked on his shoulders. That's how far upside down he is. And then he falls down afterwards. But then, after that thought that he has, he starts hearing something. And I don't think we even get a sound effect for this. So only Zoro can hear it. But then the sword starts to hiss in his hand while Zoro thinks, is that a, a shamisen? That can't be right. And then the sword is steaming and burning up and on fire. Uh-oh. Then we cut to the treasure repository where... <laughs> Remember, he's still a main villain in this story. <laughs> oh, gosh. What... I've forgotten his name. Oh, oh. Orochi. Orochi. Orochi is hiding amongst the treasure, but he too hears the shamisen playing. He's like, what the hell is this? What, who's playing a shamisen in the middle of a huge battle? It's coming from the next room. So he peeks through the sliding door. He's like, someone's in there. <sighs> and he spots Komurasaki. And she's playing the shamisen. Course, Orochi, who only knows Kumurasaki as the most desirable woman in all of Wano, thinks that he's died and gone to heaven or something, or he's having a good dream, and so he approaches her, and Kumurasaki uh, says, as, 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 after Orochi says, I have not spent a night without dreaming of you, I cannot forget you. She says in response, neither can I, my lord. I am always, always by your side. And Orochi's so happy to see her. And so... Hiyori's showing up like this. Not something that I had expected. And I do have to say, if it turns out that Orochi got his head cut off over and over and over again by samurai and kept on coming back and surviving and Kaido killed him and came back, if he ultimately dies because fucking Hiyori takes him out, yeah, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> yeah. But... Now, when you said you were surprised to see uh, Hiyori here, she did show up earlier in the arc. Yeah, I know. Okay, all right. I'm just making sure. I just didn't think that she would show up in this in these circumstances. In this, uh, yeah, no, it is actually going to be very cool. If she's the one that takes out Orochi in his stupid face. His face is stupid. It is. That's my that's my thought on One Piece this week. That face was stupid. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's let's wrap this up and go to our MVPs and favorite series. Let us do so. Favorite chapter. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, nope. you go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, fine. Fine, fine, fine. 
I think we're going to have to give it to Mashal. Okay. It was entertaining all throughout. It was funny at the beginning. It got cool at the end. So I think I think we're about to inverse each other. Uh, I'm going to give it to Undead Unluck. I thought this chapter was uh, extraordinarily good uh, with just a lot of emotion all the way through. <sighs> I mean, I can't. Her name's not, not officially her, her. Her name's not officially girl boss, to be fair. If you're going to give it to her, not going to give it to Rara. No, <laughs> no, I'm going to. I, I think I do have to go with spring. OK, it's, yeah. Very dr- big, dramatic moment. So and I'm going to give mine to Lance. I thought Lance looked cool. And I really just really the fact that it had in parentheses squeaky voice is what got me. That's the moment <laughs> that killed me because it could have just been like, why? It could have just been the character be like, well, why is he saying it in that high pitched voice? It's the fact that in parentheses, it's squeaky voice that really just sells that joke to me. <laughs> uh, the audience, by the way, doubled up. Uh, Undead Unluck and Fuko were the the choices this this week, which uh, was not a huge surprise. Undead Unluck has been having a very, very good past couple months. Basically, mm. nonstop since we got like the top and uh, Chikara fight. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that all said, everyone, thank you for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. Uh, those of those of you who joined us for the live recording, thank you very much. You can also join us if you haven't been doing that by logging on to Twitch.tv. You don't actually have to log on. Come to think of it, you can just watch anonymously. But if you log on, you can participate in the chat room. Twitch.tv/RollerT. We stream the show 7:30 Eastern time in the evenings, uh, and that's on Wednesdays every single week. You can also check out the recordings. The audio versions are wherever podcasts generally can be listened to, which includes iTunes. Uh, Spotify, and it's all hosted on weeklymongerecap.podbean.com if you want to have the most reliable list of all the past episodes as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Our show's also on YouTube. And... <coughs> I'm going to die. No, Nick, survive. YouTube, youtube.com slash weeklymongerecap. And if you check it out there, you can see not only some of the tile cards that have been made by Steve Mann, but you can check out his artwork wherever boobs are to be drawn on the internet, including his Twitter, twitter.com slash art. But you can also see the opening sequence, which is was made lovingly for us by Winsley Del Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz. We also like to extend thanks to everyone in our Discord channel. You guys are great. We have wonderful discussions on there about the chapters that come out each week. Uh, there are, is also a discussion of the recommendation as people are reading it alongside us. And also just general fun hangout stuff. We mentioned before, there's a VTuber chat if you're into that kind of thing. If you're into weird uh, shit like that. I, I don't judge. So uh, I do. Don't watch a bunch of weirdos on the internet. Watch us. Yeah. Why can't you enjoy us with our? Well, we're also three dimensional. We're not cell shaded though, huh? How about that? Unless we're not rendered. <laughs> yeah, we're not I rendered. I guess technically. Uh, and uh, also, we would like to thank uh, NinjaX3i for maintaining the Google Doc, which uh, is very helpful for keeping track of stats, including the MVP voting and stuff that we mentioned before. But there's also, as the year is approaching its end, stuff where you can vote for some of the best stuff from the year of Weekly Manga Recap. Best moments from the manga that we have covered, both the regular series and the recommendations, as well as just favorite moments from the show. And uh, go back on all that. Vote on it. It's good stuff. Hell yeah. All right, that is going to do it. Oh, make sure to stop by our Discord, and you can use our new uh, Ayashimon head-exploding emoji that everyone, it's the thing. It's what all the cool kids use. I've never been cool.
I just used it right now. Kablam! Goodbye. <laughs>